one of those really pivotal moments in my life. I just, and I looked around and no one else seemed to be taken aback, but I thought to myself, oh my gosh, they're going to put this drug out there and kill people and they know it. And it was just this moment of clarity. I had never seen someone be so cavalier in their assessment of the trade-off between human life and corporate profit. And it just, it, it just shook me to my core. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul is talking with health freedom advocate, Leslie Manukian. Leslie writes, speaks, and advocates on topics of health, freedom, nutrition, personal development, politics, and more. She was formerly a successful Wall Street business executive who chose to leave Wall Street at the height of her career in order to pursue a more meaningful path. Leslie is now an award-winning documentary filmmaker who conceived, wrote, and produced The Greater Good, a documentary exploring vaccines. She has served on the board of the Western A. Price Foundation and is a founding board member of Health Freedom Idaho. Like Jonah and the whale, every now and then, from the belly of the dragon, Wall Street in this case, a hero is born from the darkness within the belly of the beast. I first heard of Leslie Manukian from Josh Trent, a good friend of mine, and listened to his excellent interview with her on Wellness Force Radio. I was very impressed with her depth of knowledge on relevant issues of the critical issues of our day. She has expert knowledge of vaccine issues and produced the highly regarded award-winning documentary on the topic, The Greater Good. She's dug deep into the issues of the current pandemic and shares a wealth of knowledge about what is really going on. Additionally, she's a mother is very knowledgeable on issues of holistic health and wellness, and has served on the board of the Weston A. Price Foundation, is an educator, and a downright impressive woman. Today, we bring light to the darkness of health and freedom, taking you on a deep dive into the belly of the dragon. So fasten your seatbelt. This is going to be a very large dose of truth, but there's no better nutrition than truth. You are about to learn the deep truths of Bill Gates and his agendas, who's controlling who, what the real game is, and why we can't trust big medicine, government, nor the so-called scientific evidence. You'll also learn how your iPhone, TV, computer, and other forms of media are being used against you in many ways. We talk about brainwashing, the mechanics of it, and how and why it's being used against you. But don't let any of this scare you. Leslie and I go to great length to point out many opportunities the pandemic and all the issues are creating for all of us, and how you can really contribute by expressing your genius, sharing your love, and help making the world a better, safer place for all, and not just the people, the whole of nature and the planet at large. We shared deep conversation for almost three hours, and it went by in a flash. This is surely a podcast you want to listen to more than once and share widely. Enjoy my conversation with Leslie Manukian. Hello, this is Paul Check. You guys, welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. I have an exciting show to you today that I've titled Bringing Light to the Dark of Freedom and Health with an amazing woman that I learned about from Josh Trent on his amazing Wellness Force radio podcast. And he's never uh, done me wrong when he's recommended somebody. So he hooked me up to Leslie Manukian and we got together. I listened to his podcast with her, which I thought was absolutely excellent. And Leslie's a very, very educated, interesting woman that writes and speaks on topics of health, freedom, nutrition, personal development, politics, and more. 
She's a former successful Wall Street business executive and an award-winning documentary film producer and writer. And later, I'll let her tell you about all of that. She served on the board of the Weston A. Price Foundation, which you all know I'm very um, fond of, and, and as well as the Price Pottinger Foundation. And she's involved in a lot of different things. She's a homeopath. She's very deeply involved in nutrition and all issues of well-being. Leslie, thank you for joining me today for our very important discussion on bringing light to the dark, light, light to the darkness of freedom and health. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. It's really exciting to be here. Um, it's kind of an interesting time in our lives, so I'm sure we're going to have a fantastic discussion today. I'm excited. I, I love your content. I love the fact that uh, a tremendous amount of what you share is based on your own personal investigations because of your honest, genuine pursuit of the truth, not necessarily to meet the requirements some professor put in front of you to get an academic degree, but to really get to the bottom of things. And you're also a mother. So uh, I know that you have the concerns that all mothers do, which is the future of our children and the planet. So I'd love it if you could start by giving us an overview of your education and some of the key challenges that shaped you into the woman that you are today. Sounds good. Um, well, I grew up in Idaho, in rural Idaho, in a ski resort, and um, always wanted to go away and do something different. So I applied to colleges in the Northeast to go far away. <laughs> and That's I went cute. to, yeah, I went to one of those um, elite liberal arts colleges, um, Middlebury College in Vermont. Um, and then after I did that, I came home and didn't know what I wanted to do, mostly because I wanted to go into the Peace Corps and my father was adamantly opposed. And it's interesting because um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, how we make ourselves happy and what, what life is meant to be. And um, at that point, I wasn't sure because if I wanted to go into the Peace Corps, I was going to, to disappoint my father. And if I, um, but I didn't know what else I wanted to do. Anyway, long story short, I ended up deciding that I'd had enough of living hand to mouth in Idaho. And so I went to go to business school and I went to the University of Chicago where I got an MBA and was hired by Goldman Sachs in New York City. And so I moved to New York and worked there on their European and international sales research sales desks for several years before I was transferred to their London office. And um, I uh, worked there for a few years and um, became a vice president for Goldman Sachs. But there was something that just wasn't right for me working in an investment bank. There were so many conflicts of interest. For your listeners who aren't aware, an investment bank does corporate finance work where it, um, it advises corporations on how to maximize shareholder value on one hand. On the other hand, it advises portfolio managers, investment managers. So if you put your money into a mutual fund or we might manage someone, you know, someone who manages a pension fund, we advise those as well. So there's this inherent conflict of interest because you are advising the corporations trying corporations trying to maximize shareholder value at the same time you're trying to um, advise the investment managers who are trying to maximize their share their value right for their investors and those things can sometimes be at odds and so I found myself in these situations where I felt really uncomfortable I'll just tell you a quick story within the first year or so I was on the desk at Goldman in New York um, 
we got a big block of stock from London. I forget, I don't know, five or $600 million worth of stock. And we were supposed to place it with our investment managers in the United States. And one of my clients, and I was very young. I mean, I'd literally been out of the trading program for six months or something. One of my clients took $200 million of the stock. And at the end of the day, the partner in charge of the whole equities division in the United States walked up to me. I was sitting there at my desk, still working away at 4.30 when the whole trading floor had cleared out. And he came up and he looked at me and he said, you know, nice job today. And I was like, thank you. And he said, um, is your client okay? And I said, yeah, they're fine. And he's like, okay. And he left. And it dawned on me afterwards that he thought that I had stuffed my client, that I had somehow massaged a situation and gotten my client to take a bad piece of stock or something that they didn't want. When that wasn't the case at all, the, the client was a value investor and they wanted this stock. And so they bought it. And I was as honest and transparent as I always try to be in my life. But those kinds of things sort of um, accumulated over time and gave me a very unsettled feeling. And I thought, I've got to get out of here because it's just not, doesn't feel right. And what ended up happening was I quit my job at Goldman Sachs and I ended up going and working for one of my clients. So one of the investment managers. And I thought, well, this is going to be more pure because they only deal with one client, the people who are investing in their funds. And I thought this will be much more simple and there won't be all these conflicts of interest. Um, and I think that it was less conflicted, but it was not completely, um, absent conflicts. And what ended up happening was in a very short period of time, I started out as a research analyst covering the technology and telecom companies. And, um, within a year I was promoted to director of all research, European growth uh, research. And then very shortly thereafter, I was appointed to head of all European growth portfolio management research, portfolio management and research. So I ran the research department and I ran the portfolio management group. Um, and I did that all for about seven years. And what we did was we analyzed these, um, we analyzed European corporations to decide which of those we wanted to invest in and which we wanted to invest in, in our European accounts, our international, meaning ex United States accounts, and then in our global accounts, which included the United States. So I was advising portfolios all over the world. And what you got to do, what I really had to do in that position every single day was to interview the CEOs of multinational corporations. And I was working for a company called Alliance Capital Management, which at the time was the largest publicly traded asset management firm in the world. So we managed, I don't know, I forget now, but maybe 300 or $400 billion, which at the time was a huge amount. And these CEOs would come into our offices and tell us what was going on in their businesses and update us. And because we managed so much money, we were the largest shareholder or one of the largest shareholders in many of these corporations. So I got to see these CEOs and their chief financial officers and their people who headed their R&D and all these things at least once, but sometimes two or three times a year, depending on how big the position was that we owned. And I'm sharing the story because I had one of the most important experiences of my life in that position. I'd probably been in this position for probably six years at this point. And the CEO of one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world came into our office and they were in phase three trials of a drug that they were promoting and that was supposed to help your heart. 
And this is a class of drugs that is one of the most ubiquitous drugs today. They sell tens of billions of dollars of these drugs. And we owned a huge chunk in that company. And the stock was down about 30% because the uh, there were rumors trickling out of their phase three trials that some people were dying. And he came into our office and he and the chief financial officer came into the office and the head of R&D and the head of investor relations came in and they're all sitting there and we've got myself and a couple other portfolio managers and our um, pharmaceutical analyst there. And then the conference call to New York City where there are more of our team. And he sits down and he said, listen, the bad news is the FDA is going to make us put a black box box warning on the packaging because, you know, a few people have died, but it's very, very rare. And he said, the good news is we still think we'll be able to do 10 billion in peak sales. Actually, he said 7 billion, 10 billion was the original amount, but he said, we still think we'll be able to do 7 billion in peak sales. And I was like, (gasps) I felt like someone had kicked me in the gut, Paul. It was just one of those really pivotal moments in my life. I just, and I looked around and no one else seemed to be taken aback, but I thought to myself, oh my gosh, they're going to put this drug out there and kill people and they know it. And it was just this moment of clarity. I had never seen someone be so cavalier in their assessment of the trade-off between human life and corporate profit. And it just, it, it just shook me to my core. And after the meeting, I went into my office and I paced back and forth. And then I marched down the hallway into the pharmaceutical analyst's office and I opened the door and I looked at her and I was like, this is wrong. And she just shrugged at me and looked up at me from her chair and was sort of like, I know, but what do you want me to do about it? And I just share it because I think it was one of those really powerful personal experiences that led me to feel like I was playing for the wrong team. And, um, and that really formed who I was because here I was in a position where, you know, I was very well educated and I had this great position of power and was making, you know, a lot of money and position and all these things. And yet it was really destroying my soul. I just didn't feel like I was living my life's purpose. And within a year or two after that, I ended up leaving and um, actually going and studying homeopathy, which was actually a life-changing experience for me. So that's a fairly long-winded answer, but those things were so important in formulating who I was and how I wanted to live my life and where I was going to put my energies. Yeah, it's a. I think it's an important part of your history and your development. And it is a great opportunity for people to see inside the workings of these large corporations, which now control pretty much everything, including our governments, as we'll get into. As I was listening to you, it reminded reminded me of a, of a reading the book, Beating the Food Giants by Paul Stitt. Are you familiar with that book? I, I am not. Uh, it's an excellent book. It's old now, but it's really still very good. Paul Stitt uh, ended up exposing the processed food industry uh, and wrote his book, Beating the Food Giants. I don't know, maybe in the 80s. It's, it was in my original research I did. I, and I personally research books without concern for the age of them because I find a lot of excellent material in older books. But at the time, he was working for Quaker Oats. And he was doing research in the library. And he came across uh, Quakers' own studies on rats feeding them, I believe it was their oatmeal, or it was puffed, their puffed oat cereal. 
or puffed wheat. And the studies had showed that when the rats were fed this puff wheat, that they got all sorts of health problems and died much earlier and things like that. I'm just paraphrasing since because it's been years. And it was one of their very best-selling products, and it really shocked him. So he asked for a meeting with the director of Quaker Oats, and he brought the research to him and showed it right to him. And he said, this is your own research. Why in the hell are we selling this stuff to the public? And the, the director said, well, they keep wanting to eat it, so I don't give a damn. If they want to eat it, we'll keep making it. You know, and, and so that was the attitude. But the problem was the public didn't know about the research. It was an internal secret that Paul Stitt just happened to come across in their own library. And the director couldn't give a damn if it was killing rats and giving them cancer. He says, if they want to eat it, we'll keep selling it to them. And, and that's sort of the illness, the sickness, the evil that uh, lives in corporations that focus more on money than ethics or morals. Unfortunately, that's <laughs> that's very clearly the, the case. And that doesn't mean that every single one of them is bad. I'm sure there are very good people in some of them. And um, But, you know, the, the CEO's job and all of the CEO's remuneration comes from maximizing shareholder value, right? Stock going up, profits going up. That's how they get their money. That's how they get their earnings. And um, the way that that corporations are structured and the way that they're incentivized is actually pitting them against um, the public. And I think that medicine and food as well, like you mentioned, something that's also very dear to my heart. Um, they are partic two particular industries where the public believes erroneously that, well, they're just doing what's what's right and they're doing what's good for us you know eating more 70% carbohydrates is good for me right going and taking a statin is good for me because these companies wouldn't be putting it out there if they if they didn't believe in it and if it weren't approved by the government and all these and it's really important that people have that veil ripped from their eyes like it was for me in that moment because that's what happened um yeah you know. it's a, it's a it's a it's a Unfortunately, it's a psychological disease of our culture that they tend to believe anything they read that is backed by what they perceive to be science or medicine or any white coat endeavor, which is really uh, the modern religion of scientific materialism extended from the ideology of uh, you know monotheistic religious worship of a god in the sky that will take care of you if you just be a good little boy or a girl. In other words, what used to be the priests are now the white jackets. So people actually read or listen to or watch without questioning. And it always amazes me how people keep doing the same things over and over again while watching their bodies get bigger and sicker and more tired and more unhealthy and taking more and more drugs but are so programmed they don't even question it while they're getting worse doing what's supposed to be some form of medicine or health giving food or what have you. So it's a, and, and that's part of what we're going to dive into today because I really think we, we have to get past just looking at the problems because to get to the solutions, you have to really look at the beliefs that are behind the behaviors that are creating the problems and what beliefs have to be changed in order to create solutions. 
My podcast with Leslie Manukian today is all about getting clear on values and what we're willing to stand up for, defend, and live fully for. I associate myself with wise, loving people that have a genuine concern for you and the planet, and Drew Canoli, founder of Organifi, is someone I love and trust for that very reason. Organifi offers a comprehensive selection of excellent superfood products, joint support, superfood drink mixes to help you feel better, have much better immune function, better energy, and all with top-notch organic nutrition. They have excellent protein powders and more. If you want easy-to-use, top-notch nutrition you can take anywhere and share with your family for awesome nutrition on the fly, Organifi is the solution for you. My family and I love Organifi, and so do my clients. Go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and on checkout, use the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20, to get your 20% discount. To get to know Drew Canoli, the founder of Organifi, listen to Living 4D Podcast, episode 64, Drew Canoli, UBU, and I think you're going to love this guy as much as I do. Enjoy. So to set us up for the rest of our our uh, discussion and our dialogue today, I think it's important for people to get a sense of who Leslie is at her core. So I'd love it if you could give us an encapsulation of your spiritual philosophy. So things like what is it that is Leslie's highest source? Where does she believe we all came from? Why we're all here? What life's about? Why do you feel we're all here? If you could sort of encapsulate that in, in your own expression of your spiritual philosophy so people get a sense of who the woman is that they're talking to today is at her own core. Yeah. Well, I have a very, very deep belief in a greater power um, and how you define that or explain that I think is a very personal decision. And some people do believe in a more monotheistic approach. That's not mine. That's how I was raised, but that's not mine. Um, I really believe that we are here, that we are all spiritual beings having a physical experience so that we are individual manifestations of the divine and that we are here in a kind of a soul school. Um, I think with several assignments, um, one of them I think is to, I think the end goal is to heal as much of ourselves as possible so that we walk hand in hand, as clearly as possible with spirit in each and every moment. You know, when we think about the those who pursue meditation and other um, states of consciousness in pursuit of enlightenment, what they're really trying to do is shed all of the fear and shed all of the trauma, shed all of the wounding and shed all of the training of our culture and our family and our education so that they can see the truth. And to me, healing our wounds, becoming conscious of our training, things that we just accept, even though they're not absolutely certain or proven, or we know them not to be true deep down on a level, um, healing all those things, bringing those things into consciousness helps to clear away that clutter so that I can be more in tune with that higher power. Um, some people may believe that that's a man in the sky. And for me, it's 
the divine source of all that is and ever was and ever will be. And um, I think that for me, my own spiritual journey is about, like I said, I mean, I had a very, we all have our unique childhoods and mine happened to have a lot of physical um, punishment in it. And that installed a certain set of beliefs in my psyche, certain trauma responses and things. And so part of my life's work, I believe, is to examine those traumas, examine those wounds, those beliefs, and let them go. Realize that they're not true, that they don't serve me, that they might have at one point, but they don't any longer, and let them go. Because once I let go of those things, I can be more purely in the moment. And when I'm purely in the moment, I'm much more connected to God, to what I call God. Um, so I feel like that's one piece of it. And the other piece of it is doing what you love. I think that, so I don't think it's just about soul school, right? Because if you're only in school all day long, every day, it's not very fun. And I don't think that that would be a really great way to live your life. If you only ever were in school, there's got to be joy. There's got to be love. There's got to be something that gives you meaning. And so for me, the other piece of it is doing what you love. And what you love, I think, hopefully, is an intersection of where your talents are and um, what brings you joy. So pursuing things. For me, I love to read and learn and connect dots and dig deeper on things and share the perspectives and the realizations and understandings that I have with others. That gives me great joy. So sharing, teaching in some ways gives me great joy. And um, so I think that's, that's, it's kind of a mixture of those things, soul school while living that life of, of love and joy. And I think in times like these, for people like, I don't know you about you, Paul, but for me, it's been more challenging in the last few months because there's just so much information and there's so clearly a nefarious plan underway that it's hard to do both of those things, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a very unique time. And, and one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is because of your thoroughness and your research and your quest for truth. And uh, your spiritual philosophy is very, very parallel to mine. Um, I'm going to hit you with a bit of a deep question here. So don't feel pressured to have to come up with some perfect answer because it's, uh, it's deep enough that David Chalmers would probably have to meditate on it. But, uh, you know, one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done was with James Kars, the author of Finite and Infinite Games and the Religious Case Against Belief. And, we had a very deep conversation on mythology and myth, which is something very dear to my heart. And I think a lot of people completely undervalue and, and don't understand what myth really is. But when you look at what's going on in the world, it's very interesting because I just finished watching a movie last night called No God, No Master on Amazon. And it's all about what happened uh in the twenties with Rockefeller and how the uh, immigrants coming into New York through the port of New York were forced to work and almost slave labor and how Rockefeller manipulated people and would only pay them with what wouldn't pay them with money. He gave them, gave them these credit slips that they could only buy things at his stores 
and they had to live in his buildings and pay him rent. So all the money he paid them was circulated back into his business. And anybody that didn't follow his rules became very quickly abused, beaten, pushed into out of buildings, into tents. And then they ended up opening fire on him and killing piles of them. And I'm watching this movie and going, nothing's changed. And then if you look at the history of the world, we have been warring and fighting over all sorts of things for as long as humanity goes back. I've studied the history of religious wars. There's just no time where any of these religions weren't battling not only against each other, but within their own religions. So the point I'm driving at here is one of James Carson's beautiful definitions of a myth is that a myth is a story that tells itself. So when you look at the context of the history of us constantly battling with each other and progressively trying to control nature and, and turn it into our slave and wars and this never ending strife, which is now only being mixed with advanced technology. I'm curious, what do you think the story is that's trying to tell itself? That's a very interesting question. I try to I ask think, interesting yeah. questions. <laughs> that's, um, that's, um, well, you did a great job. I think that what is manifesting is the fight, the choice, really, between liberty and slavery. That's mm -hmm. the myth that is playing out today. And people don't realize it. I think that the, most people don't realize it, but I bet a lot of your listeners do. And I think that what we're seeing is that there is a march towards the technocracy, right? Towards this mechanistic, materialistic view of human life, that none of us are anything more than a bag of bones and we're no different than a dog or a cow or any other animal on the planet. And if they can get the public to believe that, then it's easy to implant them with electrodes in their brains. It's easy to vaccinate them with a stamp, you know, a mark on their arms in order to go to the grocery store or to a concert or get on, onto an airplane. It's easy to um, get them to worship the gods of medicine and science. They're lab coated, you know, like you said, priests. It's all those things. But I think that what we're seeing, and we'll probably come around this to this later on in the conversation, is that their focus on enslavement is all about power and greed and money and control. And what is starting to rise up in the masses is the desire to be free. It's the, the I think, the natural inclination towards liberty. So to me, that's what's really playing out. And I feel like our sense of what is good and right and our, our desire for freedom for self-determination is so much greater and so much more powerful than the, than the opposing energy of enslavement. So to me, that's really the myth that's playing out. I think we will win. It may take time, but I am quite confident that humanity will, will prevail. But I think that's the myth. Well, you know, it's interesting because you've just described the foundation of every successful movie ever written and book. <laughs> You're, I guess you're right. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to. And that's what's happening, right? 
it goes right to, to Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's we're all on the hero's journey together, and there has to be victims, and there has to be villains, and there has to be rebels, and there has to be lovers, and there has to be creators and artists, and you know, it's it's as scary as it looks. Really, if if you look back at it from a far enough point of view, I tell my students when they get freaked out about how the world is, I say, look, if you went far enough from the Earth, like an astronaut looking at the Earth from the moon, would you see all this pain and, and strife and disrespect and all the crap that we all don't like in the world? Or would you just see this most beautiful blue pearl? So sometimes if we take a big enough viewpoint, we can see that Inside of all of this churning, if you will, all this kind of mixing and and, uh, bending and twisting and chaos, there's just an opportunity for tremendous beauty. And philosophically speaking, you know, the highest form of love is unconditional love. So you really, if you want to have a God, you might as well go for the God that loves you the most unconditionally. But within unconditional love, there are no conditions. There's no boundaries or limitations. Therefore, there cannot be any experience of this or that. The fact that you and I are talking to each other right now, and I am a male with a very uniquely distinct voice, and you're a female with a uniquely distinct voice and vibration, there's diversity. There's conditions that make it comprehensible to consciousness that we're having a relationship and sharing that with everybody else. And so the point is, is that consciousness or great spirit or God or source cannot experience itself without creating the illusion of limitations. And it seems to me, back to the soul school concept, that we are repeatedly being given the opportunity to engage limitations so that we can engage our own creativity and either be succumbed by the limitations and fall victim to them or use our opportunities to say, okay, what can we do with this as a collective? Because like you said, those that are imposing the limitations we're talking about are few in number. Yes, they have a lot of money and they do have a lot of power. But when you get enough people together, as the Italian people got together and overthrew their government and Gandhi got the people of India to overthrow the British, even he did it nonviolently, they don't have a chance against us. So it seems to me that really what we're dealing with here is more of, of a, an issue of elaborate brainwashing technology mm-hmm. so that they can do this in a very, very stealth, dangerous way. And it's well known that the mass media is, is really one of the most popular weapons of mass distraction and destruction used by such people. Absolutely, Paul. Um, I'd say one other thing on that. And you know, in this myth of slavery versus liberty, there's another piece of it. And I think this is what, this is what makes this myth unique to the modern era. And that is that on the surface, people tend to think of liberty or freedom as being left alone. You know, it means that these people aren't bothering me and I can kind of get on with my merry way and do my whatever I want. And that's not really what it is. Right. It means, it means actually standing up and taking it. It means taking responsibility for your life, for your choices. It means there's a, there's a load that goes along with liberty, right? It's not just, um, it's not just an easy path. There's 
much more responsibility inherent in it. And I think that that is part of what's playing out now. And it's playing out against the backdrop that you just described of mass brainwashing that's been going on for at least a century. And I hope we'll get more deeply into it. But I think that this is what's really critical about where we are today, that it's not just about getting them off our back. The only way we're going to get them off our back is if people stand up and say, okay, I'm willing to risk this for that. I'm willing to stand up and be seen and be counted. I'm willing to go against the flow. I'm, I'm willing to go out without a mask and take the consequences, right? There's, there's that. You have to, there's that responsibility that comes with it. It's not just this passive state. Do you, does that make sense? Absolutely, it makes sense. And I won't mention names, but, you know, with all the vaccination horseshit going on <laughs> and, uh, you know, manipulation and lies and stuff that you're an expert on uh, and, uh, you know, loss of freedom and uh, people monitoring us and, and taking videos down and, and controlling freedom of speech. I mean, all this stuff that's going on is uh, I, I reached out to a few of my friends that are very successful podcasters and said, look, I, I just did an awesome interview with Sherry Tenpenny on vaccinations. This is a serious issue, and it's not just an issue of vaccinations. It's an issue of our rights to our own bodies, to our freedom of speech. And this is something I would really, I feel it's important for you guys to get behind and because we have to create public awareness and remember your own kids are subject to this. And two of the people that propose themselves or project themselves out as big warriors in the world and badasses and, you know, I'll do anything, hunt anything, go anywhere, both told me they would not engage that. And one of them said, I don't want to die on that hill. And I'm like, you're telling me you don't want to die on the hill of freedom and speech and your constitutional rights? Then what the fuck is important to you? And I was really actually frustrated and disappointed because these are two people that I thought had bigger kahunas than that. But really what they were saying is, I don't want to risk losing my podcast or having my business shut down. And, and granted, I completely understand that. And I put myself at great risk putting Sherry Tenpenny out there. In fact, it made headline news five times in Australia and England mm -hmm. and created a huge ruckus and, and made it my number one listen to podcast probably to this very day. And it backfired on them because a lot of people got really well informed. But there is real freedom in standing up for what you believe in. And I believe it's not a question of my way or your way. It's a question of live and let live. If you want to vaccinate your children and you want to listen to Bill Gates, go for it. But just don't force me to do it. Exactly. But that's if you want to, That's where they want to go, wanna, though. Yeah, of course. Yeah. If you want to eat junk food and poison yourself and get metabolic syndrome and be on drugs the rest of your life and have your body parts cut out, all the more power to you. God's going to say yes to it. The answer is always yes to whatever prayer you got. Just be careful what you pray for. But, you know, it, it brings up a quote from Jung that's very powerful, and I've quoted it many times. I don't think you can ever quote it enough. Jung said, no man is fully alive until he has the power to destroy himself. And we have the power to destroy ourselves in so many ways right now, from food to drugs to weapons to 
electrical technologies. The list is so damn long. The point I'm driving at is we should feel so damn alive right now because we're walking on the razor's edge. We're about to destroy nature. We're about to destroy each other. I mean, we should have enough life force running through us right now to really engage the real issues of the world, which are survival issues at this point. This isn't just a story about, oh, there's too many chemicals in the ocean or vaccines can be dangerous. This is very serious stuff for the future of the planet and the future of our children. Hi, you guys. I know you all know that super green powders are good for you if they're made from organic sources and they're processed properly. So the nutrients are there. And that's exactly what Paleo Valley does with their super greens powder. So I brought Autumn Smith in to tell us exactly how she created it and why and what it's going to do for you when you try their amazing organic super greens powder. Autumn, what is the magic you've got here? Well, like you said, we all need to get more of those micronutrients that you find in fresh fruits and vegetables. And so we've created a powder that you do not have to choke down. It has an absolutely delicious berry lemonade flavor. And the reason that it's different is because A, it is all organic, 23 organic superfood ingredients. And B, it is a very, very gut-friendly product because what I found in my practice is that a lot of people don't do well with cereal grasses. And we know cereal grasses, like wheatgrass, can contain lectins that can be hard on the guts of a lot of people I work with. And so what we did was we created a a cereal grass-free alternative. We use high quality, the cleanest, highest quality spirulina on the market raised in India. And then we added the 22 other organic fresh fruits and vegetables and the flavor will surprise you. So all you have to do to check it out is go ahead to paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase C-H-E-K-15, at checkout. My son drinks it every day. We call it his ninja juice, and I sincerely hope your family loves it as much as ours does. All right, everybody. Go paleo green and get rocking. Hope you love it. You're a highly intelligent, highly capable woman that really puts herself out there and does her very best for her family, for herself and the world. So being a woman in the world today is challenging enough, and it hasn't been easy for a very long time, probably all the way back to several thousand years ago when we had matriarchal societies. But I feel it's an important time in the history of the world for women to come forth with their opinions, their values, and their leadership, because we have far too much masculine energy in government, education, the sciences, and religion of you know, God is not a woman, right? Paradoxically, a man doesn't give birth to anything. So I always tell people, why do you keep calling God him and believing that God is a he? Anyone with even an ounce of logic should be questioning that. If God's anything, God's a hermaphrodite or a woman. So take your pick. But, you know, I'm, I'm curious, um, what does it mean to you to be a woman in the world today? And what's your message to the women as leaders in this turbulent time in the world, especially mothers? Well, I think it's actually really, that is so complicated, that question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I came to you yes, as a wise yes. woman. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because, of course, I'm a daughter. I'm a mother. I'm a mother of a son. I always considered myself a women's liber. But I see 
I see how society is actually turning on its own in so many different ways. So to me, the problem of masculine energy is not a problem of men. It's a problem of culture. Mm -hmm. Our culture destroys the connection between male heads and hearts. And when that connection is broken, then those men grow up to use their heads as their compass and not their hearts. And this starts very young from the time when, you know, our little boys um, fall down and bump their head or bump their knee or whatever. And they get swatted on, you know, a kind of just a gentle, Oh, you're fine. You're fine. And get on your merry way rather than, Ooh, ouch, that smarts, doesn't it? Okay. You know, do you need to let it out? Which is what I did with my son. And I have this wonderful 17 year old young man who, um, who I never told what to feel. I never discounted his feelings. I never told him not to be sad, not to be angry, not to be sore or hurt or any of those things. I would just take him on my knee and say, oh, ouch, that hurt, didn't it? Yeah, do you need to let it out? If he cried, if he needed to cry, he would let it out. And then he was off on his merry way. And what what we, what we people don't realize, I read so much of this because as I mentioned earlier, my parents did the best that they absolutely could, but we know so much more today than what they knew as kids. And they were kids when they got married and had us children. And, um, and I didn't feel that the way that they parented was the way that I wanted to parent myself. So I spent two years doing nothing but educating myself on different ways to parent and trying to do it with the most consciousness as I possibly could. And that's what really informed the way I raised my son. And so I have this really bright, wonderful young man who has won awards for being smart and a great athlete and, um, you know, having grit and perseverance, but being very kind hearted. And I share that because if you go back to the story of the little boy, the little boy who gets told to get up and not to feel it, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. That little boy's like, wait, I'm hurting, but mommy or daddy's telling me I'm okay. And they're bigger and they're older and they're whatever, you know, they're smarter than me. And therefore I'm going to defer to them. And so they stop paying attention to their own inner compass. And so to me, what ails our world today is that people are disconnected from their hearts and they've, they're disconnected from their hearts because it's actually more convenient. We want the kid to be okay because it's more comfortable for us, right? If your kid's really yes. hurt or something. And so mm-hmm. we're saying, you're fine, you're fine, because we want them to be fine. And if we just let them stay connected to their hearts and their own compasses, we don't destroy that connection and that relationship between their heads and their hearts. And I share that because I really think we need to talk about this in a bigger picture, right? I want to raise a happy, healthy young man to grow up to be a strong, compassionate, kind, heart-centered man who's going to be a wonderful father, a wonderful spouse, and a, I hope, a, a beacon of truth and hope and kindness and things in the world, right? And so the reason that we have such a problem in mascul- masculinity in the world today, if you ask me, is because of this fairly old-fashioned way of dealing with our children and our feelings. 
That's it's very it's very Middle Ages and Dark yes. Ages. I mean, we used to go at each other with swords and swords and spears and axes and and just mangle each other. And children, young boys, were brought early into military training and had to be toughened up. And you know the long, long story. But th- this sort of like. Mm-hmm. Dark Ages consciousness has just now extended itself all the way to nuclear weapons and and something that's turning out to be even worse, uh, cyber technology. Absolutely. So you're, you know, so so for me, I look at the problem of masculine energy is not that there's too much of it; it's that it's gone awry. And so as a mother, I look at. You know, there are, there's a fantastic book called The Boy Crisis written, written by an amazing man named Dr. Warren Farrell, just a fantastic man. And he, um, he wrote this book called The Boy Crisis. And it's all about how we are undermining our young men's sense of self. We are actually making them ashamed and guilty to be men. The number one word associated with masculinity today is take a wild guess. Something to do with sex. Toxic. Oh, really? Toxic masculinity. If you go to a college campus today, and this is stuff I'm really, you know, concerned about because, of course, I've been trying to raise this healthy young man for the last almost 18 years now. College campuses, toxic, toxic masculinity. That's what you hear. That's what if you ask people on college campuses, what's the number one word you associate with masculinity? That's the word. That's terrifying, Paul. Because a man who thinks that they are inherently toxic is not a happy, self-centered, well-adjusted, centered, compassionate, kind, grounded person. It's a guilt-ridden person. And people who are fraught with guilt and negative emotion are much more likely to act out in violent and disruptive and drastic ways, right? So absolutely, this this stuff and, you know, they, they say that we have a rape culture. Now, listen, there are rapists, absolutely. But to say that we have a rape culture is absurd. That means that over half of the men in the United States today believe in, defend, participate in, condone rape. And I don't think that's true by any yardstick. That doesn't mean that there aren't misogynists. That doesn't mean that there aren't rapists and that we shouldn't do all we could to minimize and hopefully eradicate those behaviors. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that this kind of brainwashing we've been talking about applies in so many different ways. And I would suggest that this assault on masculinity is part and parcel of the greater agenda to undermine our entire populace. Because if if you can guilt the men into being afraid of standing up for their wives and their families, if you can guilt them into feeling like they're bad, you've done a huge amount to emasculate the entire population. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? I mean, I just feel like... Yeah, it does, you know, and it's not just... If you look at what's going on, it's the rape culture, it's the disease culture, it's the criminal culture... Um, if you look at what's being projected through mass media, it's a perfect setup to keep everybody scared of each other themselves and everything else and sell higher security and more, you know, controls, which is a, you know, the military industrial complex is the big, one of the biggest 
industries in the world. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing. After 911, they spent billions and billions of dollars to put TSA in. And then good, solid research showed after, what, eight or 10 years of that whole plan being in place, it improved travel security 0%, but cost us billions and billions of dollars and totally made our travel less comfortable and untold amounts of food and water thrown away and just wasted. So it's it's really part of this sort of, if you make, uh, if you can make a toxic male culture and a rape culture and a victim culture, then you can condition people and brainwashing is totally based on creating a sense of chaos and then giving people a belief in a way out or putting a carrot in front of them. And because most people are still children in their own development, they don't actually think constructively. They just go for the carrot. Next thing you know, they've lost even more. You know, you mentioned something earlier. You, you, you said that you part of what you express yourself as was a woman's liber. I'm curious, are you familiar with St. Hildegard of Bingen? I'm not. I'm not. Well, my dear Leslie, <laughs> I would highly recommend you look up St. Hildegard of Bingen. You can start right on Amazon and look for documentaries about St. Hildegard, who in the 11 and 12, I think late 1100s, maybe early 1200s, was considered to be the first women's liber. And she had quite a nice battle with the church, with the men of the church. And she clearly won it and would not let them manipulate her. She was an amazing composer, an amazing artist. And just, uh, she wrote, a, she's, uh, she's written a couple of books on food that if published and were, if people were aware of them today, they'd be as good, if not better than everything out there. And she was very, very spiritually evolved and taught how to use all the different meats for different health challenges and had a beautiful, beautiful system. And some doctors in Europe still practice her approach today. But uh, what I love about her art is that there's magic mushrooms all through it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't talk about that, of course. No. Well, you know, it, but I think you got to check her out. I absolutely will. And I, if, if I may, I'd like to kind of fill that out, round that out a bit, because I said I used to feel I was women's liver. Mm -hmm. I hope you still are. <laughs> I am, but not at the cost to the men, right? No, no, no. Just, but, but, the, but the healthy form of it. Yes. I mean, women's lib can be as nasty as racism. Exactly. But and that's my Saint point. St. Hildegard, yeah. Hildegard was the real beginning of it. Yeah. The real, you know, she was standing up for women's rights and for women as human beings and not objects and would not let the church push her around. And I don't want to give the whole story because that's not the intention of our discussion. But I think women need to inject themselves into politics and into the way things are done because we've completely lost our emotional connection to life and we've become mathematical, logical, intellectual. Um, we've been caught up in the field of mind and disconnected ourselves so fully from the roots of ourselves in the earth and in each other that we're all just ideas to be traded. We're, we're statistical data. We're numbers on paper. Doctors don't even look at the person, most of them. They look at the data. And so they don't actually see the human being. They see lab tests. They see numbers. And they make decisions 
without any interest in the person's life or the real original etiology of their stresses. And so if we don't get women involved in medicine, in nutrition, in politics, in raising children, and we also have a massive problem that a lot of women, I must say today, are just men with boobs. They've so entered into the workforce that they're just guys with boobs. They're Margaret Thatcher's, uh, you know, and so we really need the help of the women and the women really need to help each other to heal because they're the mothers of the world. And they're the ones that, you know, my mother had more influence on me than any man ever has and ever will. And I just think I'm asking you this question as we go into these discussions of these deep issues, because I think it's always important to look at the belief systems behind the behaviors that are causing problems in the world. And it starts right with the father mother child unit and and to me it's about both men and women developing their masculine and feminine sides right absolutely we all need to develop both and to me to show just how fake the media is and how much we're being brainwashed the same people who are putting out the words toxic masculinity are the very same pushing Jennifer Lopez flashing her crotch to millions during the halftime show, during the Super Bowl, flying in on a stripper pole and doing a strip routine. Literally, this is supposed to be women's lib. I'm sorry, but what bullshit. This is, yeah, this is so yeah. we are being, our culture has been sexualized. It is being overtly sexualized, right? And it's, the people who are pushing this whole, how bad men are, are trying to tell us that that is what women are supposed to be. What about all those little boys and girls who are watching? They think that that's what 50 year old women are supposed to grow up and do and be, that that's supposed to be a reflection of a successful woman. Come on. My point is that we are deliberately being manipulated into believing both of those things and they are both destructive. And I want to use that if I can to seg into some a personal story for myself about being a woman in this world. And before I do that, thank I just, you. I'd I'd love it. I have to say real, one really th- quick thing too about TSA. I think that TSA is really important. You talked about all the things it's done. There's one other super important thing it's done, and that is that it's conditioned people to accept loss of rights in exchange for perceived safety. It is part of the brainwashing strategy. You it got was it. part of this. It's, it's a, it was the initial move, public, out in public, to get us ready for what we're going through right now and you what we're it. getting into in this topic. I am a soldier, a highly trained, fairly highly trained. I was an elite soldier, and I know exactly how the military conditions people's minds and breaks you down and tells you your mother's a piece of trash and everything about you is garbage. And then build you back up to a lean green fighting machine that'll kill a commie for mommy. I know the whole friggin' game. I've studied brainwashing. I'm watching this shit go on and I can't believe my wife can tell you how many times this I have been in big trouble with security because I got pissed off that they were taking my very expensive certified organic meats and foods and throwing them in the garbage and telling me that they were possibly had explosives in him when I was offering to eat them right there. Mm-hmm. You know, one time six soldiers with actually soldiers, some of them Green Berets, 
must have been called by a secret buzzer, came running at full speed because the security lady was having a, a discussion with me. I call it a discussion. And um, as soon as they got there, they looked, took one look at me and they said, you look like a soldier. Are you a soldier? I said, I used to be in the 82nd Airborne Division. And they immediately calmed down and said, what's going on? And I said to them, look, I just spent $150 on certified organic liver pate with no gluten in it because I have food allergies and there's not that much I can eat and I can't eat any of the crap on this airplane. And this woman just threw my food in the garbage telling me it was probably an explosive even after I offered to eat it. You know what they said to me? They said, we're sorry. I totally understand. Go on your merry way. <laughs> they let me go without my damn food though. Yeah, of course. This amazing podcast with Leslie Manukian is all about being clear on our values and doing what we love to do to help make the world a better place for all living beings each day. Bioptimizers is a company that really does that. They share their love and the wisdom of their founders by creating the best enzymes for enhanced digestion, body and immune support, recovery from exercise, and their P3OM prebiotic is one of my trusted guardians for whenever I feel like I've been exposed to pathogenic bacteria, such as food poisoning. They have excellent detoxification support, a parasite kill formula, and their Capex enzymes help digest fats and flesh foods while naturally stimulating your metabolism to keep your energy levels up and your body looking great. I'm not afraid to look in the mirror every day, and one of the reasons I'm not is because I use Bioptimizer's excellent products. I use their products every day, and every client I've ever turned them on to loves them hands down. Try your Bioptimizers out by going to bioptimizers.com forward slash living 4D. And on checkout, use the code Paul. 10, that's little case P-A-U-L 10 to get your 10% discount on any purchase. And I know you will absolutely love their products. I've never had anything but positive feedback. And better yet, if you want to get to know Wade Lightheart, co-founder of Bioptimizers, listen to episode 55, Wade Lightheart, and you will not only learn a lot you can apply immediately, you'll experience a man with high caliber, with love and respect for life, his work and your health and well-being. Enjoy. It is part of the of the mass brainwashing campaign. I just really wanted to say that because it's so important that that was laying the groundwork for where we are today. Absolutely. Now the whole... Th so, oh, go ahead. I was going to say about this being a woman in the world. I think so much of this... I personally subscribe to the idea that we see in the world what we want to see and that we also create what we want. Um, that if we follow our passion, that doors open. And um, my father came through Ellis Island. You talked about what happened in the 19, early 1900s. My, my grandfather came through Ellis Island, I should say, an Ar Armenian immigrant fleeing the Russians taking all the property or the Turks slaughtering us. And basically they had to get out of Dodge. He was 13 years old and he had to flee. Came to this country with his sister who was 15 and just married to a 16 year old. And um, the three of them came with nothing but the shirts on their backs. Didn't speak the language, you know, teenagers, right? Came yeah. all the way around the world, somehow found their way and got here, came through Ellis Island, then made their way to Los Angeles. And, um, 
my grandmother had an eighth grade education, my grandfather, whatever, through 13 years of age. And that was it. And so my father was born into this very Armenian family, arranged marriage. He's an old world Armenian man. And when he and my mother got divorced in like 1970 or 71, somewhere around there. And when they were getting divorced, my father said to my mother, well, I'll pay for Michael's college, but the girls don't need to go to college. And my mother, who had basically gotten married and watched all these other women, young women go to college and start having lives right outside of, um, outside of marriage and children. I think that there was a sense of loss for her. She just said, you know, absolutely not. You are paying for my daughters to go to college too. So my dad, that was part of the divorce agreement that he would pay for our college. And what's interesting was that I think that that moment that my mother stood up shifted something in him because he went from being like, ah, they don't need it to on certain levels, our champion. And in particular for me, because I ended up living with him for many years. And I'll tell you, Paul, he never told me to be wary of the glass ceiling. He never told me that people were going to be sexist, that I'd never get ahead. He never told me that I would struggle because I was a woman. All he ever told me was get out there and do anything you want. Just work hard, keep your head down, and you will prove that you are worth whatever you you work for. He said, you know, you're going to have to get up there on top of a mountain and let people take their shots at you. And sometimes you're going to get knocked down and you just stand back up. That's what he told me. So when I went into, literally when I was hired by Goldman Sachs and went to Wall Street in 1992, not 10% of the professionals on the trading floor were females, not 10%. Almost all of the support staff was. So it was a very unique situation because, you know, we were kind of uppity women, right? There were the, the support staff who weren't thrilled that we were in that position. And then there were the, the men who were like, oh, okay, they're women. I mean, I was one of the first women at Goldman Sachs to wear pants, to not wear a skirt. And um, I'm sharing this because my dad never told me to think about those things. And I have to tell you, Paul, my experience, experience was that if I went and I worked hard and I did a good job and I gave it my all, I would be recognized for that. And I was. That is not to say that there aren't misogynists. That is not to say that there aren't issues for females. I'm not saying that. But I do think that the more we focus on that negativity in our lives, the more we'll see it as well. Well, there's an old saying in metaphysics, you bring forth that which you gaze upon. Yes. And I'll tell you, at you, Goldman, you, I was- You enliven it. Yeah. I was one of the top people in my training program out of 100 people, and there weren't that many women. I mean, I don't know how many of there was, probably 25% of us were women, maybe in the whole training program, whereas on the whole floor, so, you know, that had been there for years, it was not even 10% yet. Um, and um, when I went to Alliance Capital- I mean, I was promoted over people who had a decade on me, men and women, in terms of their experience and stuff. So my point is that, you know, you just have to, I think that the more we buy into that stuff, the more we shackle ourselves. And that's part of the brainwashing too, right? Yes, it is. 
So I just, I'm not discounting that people, that women don't have problems. I'm not discounting that there's not racism, misogyny, and all these other things, right? I'm not saying that. I just think that our media makes it way bigger of an issue and that that then hamstrings those individuals who buy into it. If you look back in history, there were women who broke the mold. They always did. How is that possible if they didn't believe in themselves and just go for it? That's all I'm suggesting. Don't pay attention to all that crap. Just get out there and follow your path, follow your heart. And you know what? The doors will open for you. I really believe that. And that, that leads. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. If you, I was gonna say, I and that's been my experience. Yeah. I, and, and it leads right into really where I'm going here with the interview. So it's a perfect. I, I'm going to share a few things here just to sort of set the stage We've talked about a bunch of it. Obviously, we're experiencing a crisis. Personally, I feel it's our collective shadow becoming embodied. Um, So I'd like to explore some of the underpinnings. We've talked about history being full of these kinds of crises throughout. Um, You know, anyone knows that one way to screw up a culture for sure is to program it with religious dogma and not trust the value of yourself and always doing what you're told to do by some authority figure. We've talked about the issues of priests becoming anyone wearing a white jacket with a a science degree or anything that leads people to think that they really know what they're doing, which unfortunately is often not very true. And it programs people not to think for themselves. Um, You know, a definition of a culture is a bunch of people doing the same things. Um, You know, so it's, uh, we have so much of what it, uh, of people just really, I mean, when I look at this, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger gave a speech a while back, which I saw on YouTube, and he quoted a couple of studies, one from Europe and one from the United States. The one from Europe, looking at large populations, found 75% of people not only didn't like their job, but said they hated their job. And in the US, it was 70% of people said that they didn't like or hated their jobs, which is really quite sad. So when we love to do, when we do what we love to do, I tell all my students, if you do what you love to do, you're making love every day. And to me, that's sustainable. Anything else is just labor and that's just isn't sustainable. And I think we have tremendous problem with drug addiction and medical drug addiction and addiction to authority figures and addiction to medicating ourselves with consumerism. And, uh, you know, basically we have, we're a world chock-a-block with addictions right now. So my question to you is how important do you feel it is to build your life and career around what you love to do as opposed to what you've been told to do by your parents or other so-called authority figures and doing what you think you have to do to make a living. And as we both know, making making money doesn't create happiness or freedom. And what do you think the ramifications are for for not doing what you love to do? And how do you feel that plays into the situation we're in today? Well, I have unfortunately or fortunately personal experience with that, you know, because when I was working in Alliance Capital, I was at the top of my career, right? I mean, I had had it all by the tail from the outside, right? Looking in. And um, I remember coming home one day around just before Christmas and I just gotten my bonus and 
I walked in the door and put my stuff down. And my husband was like, did you hear, did you hear your bonus? And I told him what it was. And he's like, oh my gosh. And, um, and I started crying and he said, what are you, cr- you're crying. Why are you crying? Are you disappointed? And I said, no, I'm not disappointed. I'm empty. Yes. I'm empty because I really fully understood in every cell of my being that money and all those other trappings of success didn't make me happy. I was probably 38 years old at the time. So I got to have that lesson at a very, very young age. Thank goodness. Um, and I realized at that moment that I was doing something that was destroying me. We ended ended up going to, we lived in London and we ended up going to Switzerland to go skiing the day after Christmas for a week or so. And we flew home and when we got back to London, we got back on a Saturday afternoon and that night I got sick. And so, I mean, I woke up on Sunday morning sick and I didn't go back to work for three weeks, Paul. I didn't go back because I literally couldn't get myself out of bed to do it because it was literally destroying me. It just, it was sucking every ounce of life force, energy, just anything out of me. I had nothing left. Even though from the outside, people would have thought that I had everything, right? Well, Leslie, if I can interject, the problem about having a dragon by the tail is that we often forget it's the other end that bites. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And dragons, dragons, uh, black dragons can have a, an insatiable appetite. And we're, we're dealing with several of them right now, but we have to realize we're the ones that keep feeding the damn thing. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was, you know, I kind of got, well after about 10 days, two weeks, but it took a long time to get well, which was very odd, right? To not, to have something be, to be sick that long. But then I just realized I just couldn't go back. I couldn't deal. And um, I don't know if you ever read this, but there is a very, very strong scientific basis for the idea that people have heart attacks because of emotional reasons. And as a homeopath, you know, we believe in a huge connection between the mind, emotions, spirit, and the body, and that the body is essentially a manifestation of the mental, emotional, and spiritual. And this body of science has actually found that something like 30% of all heart attacks happen on Monday mornings. Yeah, it's true. I've had, I've had, I've had my own friends and People that had recently hired me die, and and uh, one of the most common times they have heart attacks, especially males, is when they're having a poop on Monday morning because the Valsalva manure just pushes their little tired heart right over the edge. I didn't know that piece of it, but um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. It just the thing is, they're literally dying of a broken heart because they are drudging through their day. Right, their life is pure drudgery. They have to drag themselves in. They're just. They don't have any joy. And I mean, there's no point in living if there's no joy, is there? Why are we even doing this? And so coming back full circle to what, you know, what the ramifications are or the connections to what's happening today, this situation of masks and social distancing and fear of a virus, which we'll unpack in a minute, I think, um, this is all about control. 
It's all about brainwashing. It's all about subjugation. It's getting you to go and and trudge away in their factory, whatever that might be, whether it's a blue collar or a white collar factory, right? It's trudging away, destroying your soul, literally giving your energy and your creative force over to a beast. That's what it's doing. And the only way you wake up is by getting to that point where you realize that this isn't worth it, right? For me, I got really sick and I had other things that were going on in my health as well, which then took me on this spiritual journey. It got me into the homeopathy college and opened my mind about all those. And then I started to realize the illusion of division and the whole issue that I talked about freedom. And when I said the illusion of division, it's like buying into the left or the right, that one of the parties is going to save us. No, they're too too, in my, from my perspective, they're two wings of the same bird of prey. It's a Siamese dragon. Yes, it is a Siamese <laughs> dragon. And this is, this is what's playing out, right? Is that, I don't know if, if people understand this, but if I can back up a little bit, let's just go back to, we had 9-11 in 2001. In 2010, the Rockefeller Foundation put out a white paper called Lockdown, where they outlined essentially what is happening right now. It was kind of a blueprint for what was to come, if you will. And you can go and search it up on the web. It's called Lockdown. Um, and if you can't find it, email Paul and, um, or I don't know if we can post it in the show notes or something like that, Paul, I can send you a link to it. Yeah, if you if you could skip the link. I'll get you a link for it. Uh, to, to Penny, she'll put it in the show okay. notes. So that happened, that was in 2010. Okay. Bill Gates said in 2010 or 11 that the next decade is going to be the decade of vaccinations. That's what he said. And he, of course and he, he committed <laughs> his foundation to vaccines, right? And then we fast forward and, you know, there was the world military games in the summer of 2019. Shortly after that, there was the um, event 201, which was this um, uh, tabletop military exercise for how to deal with a coronavirus pandemic, literally right before the pandemic started, supposedly. Um, and then you have the pandemic beginning in China. Now, I would suggest to you, if you were going to try and force the entire world to lock down, would you start that in the United States? In Britain? Probably. In Germany? Would you start it in the West where there's at least a modicum of reverence for the idea of freedom, you would never start there because people would push back, wouldn't you? But if you started in China, a police state where people are already yeah. conditioned to accept authority and are already yeah. frightened of being locked up and thrown into gulags and concentration camps and things like that, afraid of, you know, having their free, whatever, you know, minuscule freedoms they do have taken away. It's a great place to do it. And then what was the what was the language? What was the narrative in the Western media? What a great job China is doing. Of see course. how well they're doing this? <gasps> see how they're such good conformists. <laughs> see how look, all we need to do is lock down. We need this. See their social credit score and all these things that they're doing. And then I don't know if you if you notice this, but in January, then there was a narrative put out. <gasps> the virus can survive for nine days on paper money. <gasps> Oh my goodness. <laughs> We've got to get rid of paper money, make it all digital so we can control you even exactly. more. Exactly. And so 
you mentioned something before, you know, you start the fire and then you create the exit, right? It's problem, reaction, solution. Okay. Yeah, so it's very, very simple. Yes. So then we fast forward. So we hear that out of China. And then we have authorities here telling us, don't worry, there's nothing to be worried about. Go to Chinatown. Come into New York City. There's nothing to be worried about. Don't worry about this. It's fine. This is what they were saying. They've been telling us masks aren't an issue, that masks don't help anybody, all these things. They then start putting out, oh my gosh, these draconian, horrific estimates. Oh my gosh, Armageddon, millions are going to get sick and millions are going to get die. We're going to need to do what China did. In the intervening period, we also saw white papers come out of Europe. The I think the Bank of England, the Bank of Sweden, maybe Switzerland and the European Central Bank, the ECB, all put out white papers on digital currency. Isn't that very interesting? Yeah, of course. Okay? Yeah. And we're starting to hear about that also. And I forgot to say something about two years ago. I don't know if you noticed this, but in California, they started trialing universal basic income. They started giving people 1000 to $1,500 a month just to see how they do on that. They gave it. That's communism. But they did it in California. I forget. Was it Stockton maybe or somewhere in that area? They started trialing universal basic income. They are conditioning people to accept that that is the way it's going to be. If you've seen the Hunger Games, just the first one, to me, that is their end goal. But they are going to be subverted. And so what they're doing is they put out these they float these you know, little trial balloons, universal basic income, washing the currency, um, you know, fear of paper money, um, lockdown is the only answer, face masks, quarantine, self-isolation, social distancing, your, your loved ones are the enemy, don't touch people, you may never shake a hand again, you may never hug again, all these things. Your loved ones and your friends literally are to be suspected and feared. They are the foe. But you know what? Government will save you. We'll give you universal basic income. We're going to give you PPP, right? What is it? The Paycheck Protection Program. They're going to give all these things. And the Paycheck Protection Program is the same amount that universal basic income was, right in that wheelhouse. The thing is that people are so gullible. I tell people all the time, you think Donald Trump gave you $2 trillion of bailout? <laughs> Who the hell do you think's paying for that? Watch what happens to your taxes. You didn't get anything except a loan that you have no knowledge of the interest rate. Hi, everybody. I'm super excited to let you know about Symbiotica's Synergy Vitamin C with Silica it's an amazing product. There's all sorts of unique applications. In fact, it helps with so many things we'd never be able to tell you about them all. So I've asked Sherveen to tell us because he formulated it. What are the three most likely things we're going to need this product for? So Sherveen, how do we use Synergy Vitamin C with Silica? This is our first product that we did that's actually not in a 60 ml or 100 ml bottle. It's actually in a 16 ounce bottle. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you got a lot of servings in there. And, you know, I was really excited about this because I've always been a fan of vitamin C. It's antioxidant abilities. Um, you know, everybody knows what vitamin C is. but Immune support. Immune support, things like that. But we took fermented 
vitamin C on this one. So it goes through a fermentation process and the energy source is cassava. Everybody knows what cassava is. They're, they're selling cassava chips everywhere. Yeah. So we went through that fermentation process to create this vitamin C and we combined it with bamboo silica. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And, and a lot of research behind silica. You're a Steiner guy. I'm a Steiner guy. Silica no, is the levitation mineral. Yeah. It's what pulls us closer to the sky, gives us wings essentially. And it makes sense. So if you understand the pharmacology of silica, it bonds to our joints. It bonds to our skin. And this whole thing right now with collagen production, yes. collagen products on the market, using meat products, byproducts of meats and stuff, why not use your own endogenous ability to right. create collagen within, not just for your face, but for your organs, for your lymphatic system. Connective tissue. Connective tissue. Joints. Correct. So I have all the top athletes on the world on this right now, and they're getting the best reviews I'm an athlete myself. I'm training every day. I'm feeling so strong with this product. My immune system's strong. My eyes are white. My skin is clear. This thing is a powerhouse. I'm really, really stoked on it. Well, there you go. Go to Symbiotica, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com to get your Synergy Vitamin C with Silica. On checkout, use the code CHECK15, all caps, capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15, to get your 15% discount. And while you're there, check out all the other amazing products because your discount is across the board. Enjoy. Let me add this to this. Oh, here's it's, got some more. It's the best flavor ever. It tastes like orange, vanilla, delicacy, guava. It's, it's incredible. Your favorite sorbet out there. Now you get it in the most healthiest form ever. Great natural medicine with no great sugar, taste. No sugar, no sugar, nothing. Beat it. Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A on checkout. Capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15. Dig it, love it. Can't wait to hear your feedback. But you know what? I, what The question I'm really driving at here, because yes, I agree with all this. Yeah, and I, I got and I'm glad topic, you're sharing. <laughs> that, that's okay. But really... You see, these kinds of things put people into a lot of fear. When I was a martial artist, one of the things I learned is you don't get scared, you don't lose your composure, you don't go sympathetic, or you don't think creatively. And all the great masters of martial arts teach you to stay in a parasympathetic state, control your breathing, and learn to control your mind, or you're going to be your own worst enemy in a boxing ring or a kickboxing match or whatever it might be. And I spent years in both. I know exactly what combat is like on many levels. So what I'm pointing at, though, is that if we get back to the concept of two things, most people are not doing what they love to do. They're doing what they don't like or what they hate to do, which is why Arnold Schwarzenegger brought that up. And he was telling the story about how he spent his life doing what he loved to do. And anybody that I know that really does what they love to do, A, they usually have enough money to live the lifestyle they want to live, but they're more grounded in a sustainable form of happiness or well-being. But B, the real issue is how do you feel we can inspire people to A, do what they love to do and B, inspire people to realize that if we all get clear on what it is that is the way we love to live together on the planet, like we love to have freedom to eat what we want, take whatever supplements we want, see whatever doctors we want, have the kind of sex we want, read the books we want. We don't want to go back to this kind of dark ages, religious control, because that's exactly where we're heading. So how do we 
inspire people to not only do what they love to do to generate income so they stay more grounded and in touch and open because you can't do anything in the world without relationships. Nobody is an island. And if you do what you love to do, then we're living the way we love to live. And that brings us to the commonalities. We all need healthy food. We all need healthy soil. We all need clean water. We all need to protect nature. We all breathe 25,900 breaths a day on average, and we need clean air. And the very industries we're talking about are destroying the infrastructure of life itself. So the two questions I have for Leslie is, how do we support people in making the transition that's often very scary from doing what you think you have to do to keep the bills paid to doing what you love to do and keeping the bills paid? And how do we get clear on what it is that we all love to do as a way of living together? And what is the foundation of that? And how do we get wise enough to say we must stand up for the foundation of life on this planet, which includes nature, it includes the insects, it includes the microorganisms, it includes the dolphins and the whales and the beavers, the birds, the bees and the flowers and the trees. And we can't just keep spraying chemicals on everything to make big corporations rich. We can't keep making pesticides that grow in the plants and thinking we're smart because we're not that smart at all. Nobody's intelligent with a degree that creates technologies that destroys the fabric of their own existence. We, we have a drug industry that destroys its users, but the recreational drug industry, cocaine uh, dealers and crack dealers know you can't destroy your customer. You don't make any money. So paradoxically, the cartels are actually better at dealing drugs in the medical system because they keep them going. Our medical system kills more people through deaths by uh, drug uh, misprescriptions and side effects and uh, incorrect surgical procedures than any of the other leading causes based on their own research. So how do we get people to make the transition to go to their heart and say, I've got to do what I love to do to really be capable of having the life force energy and the interest in life to contribute to the movement to support us all in getting clear on how we need to live together and what do we need to do as a people to to transform any of the resistance to us as citizens living that way collectively? Well, I would say that that is one of the silver linings of this whole pandemic that they have destroyed millions of people's lives, small businesses, medium-sized businesses. And I don't think that that is an accident. No. But there's a really, really positive silver lining in there. And that is that you're, they're now going to start giving people $1,000 a month or 1500 bucks a month to live on. People can't live on that and won't live on that. But when you take away that, they're going to have to slow down. They're going to have to turn within. They're going to have to look into their hearts, their own compass, and find out what's true for them. And I have to say, in the last couple of months, I've had at least a dozen people who I would say were not very awake people before call me up and say, Les, what's really going on? And then they say, you know what? I don't subscribe to that viewpoint or group I used to believe in anymore. I'm not in this anymore. 
I don't buy into this. And so I think that the multi-headed dragon, because it's multi-headed, right? It's a hydra of sorts, has shown itself catastrophically for itself. And that what will happen as a result of this whole exercise is that people will be left and there will be a lot of desolation. But in that, there will be the phoenix rising from the ashes. People will start to grow gardens. You know, you can't buy seeds anymore, Paul. People are trying to grow their own food everywhere. Heirloom organic seeds are out. I have friends like the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. They've never seen such demand as they have. They don't have any more seeds. And this is the thing that's going on across the nation. So there is this, you know, life, the creative life force that exists in each and every one of us and on the planet is more powerful than any evil that exists in any handful of these doctor evils, right? I mean, yes. even look at Chernobyl. I saw a documentary or some small, small, like mini doc on it a couple of years ago. Chernobyl was desolate for decades. Life is coming back. And that doesn't mean I want to go and live in Chernobyl or anywhere near it. But the point is that, that there is a immense life force, creative life force that inhabits each and every one of us as well as our world. And will take over, I believe, because people will have to look within. And when they look within, they're either going to be like, okay, I can take this thousand dollars and try and survive on that, or I'm going to find a different path or a different way for myself. And I think that's what will happen. So I see a silver lining in all of this, which is that it will, it's obviously not out of their own choice, but it will force people to kind of go back to the basics and to slow down, stop and reflect. And I think that those are all really positive things, which will then catalyze a different path for those people. The other thing is, Paul, I think we have to be really careful that all we can do is share our experience and our perspectives. What other people do with it is up to them, right? We totally, can kill yeah. ourselves trying to save the world and we never, and we never will. We can kill ourselves trying to solve every problem that exists. From my perspective, my personal philosophy, all I can do is follow my heart on what's what I'm called to do. So like 5G, I'm very concerned about 5G, but I can't take that on, on top of vaccines and COVID and the health freedom issues that I fight for. I'm the, on the board of health freedom, Idaho in the state where I live, pushing back against the authoritarian moves of, of our governor. I can't do it all, you know, and no human being no. can do it all. And so what I'm suggesting is that when we talk about what do we do to, you know, make other people do this or that, we have to remember that we just have to share, try and encourage them to put one step in front of the other, because that's the only thing that we can do and hope that they, you know, that they do that, that they wake up and start forging their own path. Well, absolutely. And, um, you know, in, if you study mythology, all myths ultimately sort of live their time out. And with the end of a myth, which is the most dangerous time in any culture, when a culture loses its myth, chaos breaks out, wars break out. That's well documented in, in mythological research. And our current myth is consumerism. And it and it's 
it's reaching the end of its functionality because it's ending our survivability. Um, I remember once I saw on a TED talk, a girl who I can't remember what the item was, but it was, uh, I don't know what she was using a computer or something. And she was showing in her presentation what it took to actually make this thing. And it was like, there was like 163 things from nature. And like, she showed how I'm assuming it's been a while, but it was like an electronic gadget and it had parts from pigs in it. It had like so much stuff out of nature. And, and, and she was showing, we don't really even realize the cost that it takes from nature to produce things. I remember seeing research showing it takes three times the amount of water that a plastic bottle holds to manufacture the plastic bottle. So we're at, we're in a counter myth and a counter myth emerges. For example, the analogy I give my students is if I have a patient that I identify as gluten intolerant and I explain to her that she needs to stop eating gluten to decrease the inflammation in her body and calm her immune system down or she's not going to succeed in her health and wellness goals. And so she says, oh, great. She reads the information. She goes home and her dad's a medical doctor that says that's a bunch of bullshit. Why do you even pay to get that kind of advice? <laughs> and I say, okay, well, then just keep eating the gluten and watch what happens to your body. Watch yourself gain weight. Watch your cognitive function deteriorate. Watch your joints ache. Watch your bowel movements get smellier and smeller until you can't even believe they're your own etc. That's a counter myth. Now then follow the plan I've given you for a week and see what changes in your body and you will get reinforcement that the counter myth is telling you what direction to go in. And whenever we're in a myth crisis, it's well known that it's the artists, the poets, and the musicians that are the ones that are tapped in enough to bring us into awareness of where we are going with the new myth, because most people are too uh, brainwashed to bring in intuitive concepts, and and their hearts are usually too closed or too uh, stone oh, stone over. So we're really in a counter myth right now, and there's a clash whenever there's a counter myth. But what comes out is is really what's ultimately essential for the survival of everyone and everything involved or or it all comes to an end so there's there's really um an opportunity here because everybody listening to us that can see what we're sharing which most of my audience will because if they listen to my podcast then you know they're open-minded or, or they would have shut me off a <laughs> long time ago you know this is hinging on our previous discussion. My students come to me and say, well, what am I going to do? There's so much wrong in the world. I mean, I'm paralyzed by it all. It's scary. I'm afraid to do anything. And I tell people all the time, if you do what you love to do, I love to share health information. I love to do my podcast. I don't love picketing. And I don't even love voting. I think the whole political system is rigged. There's just a choice between one devil and another devil, and the answer is a devil. So you, I, I say vote with your dollars. You, if you choose how you spend your money consciously, and we enough of us do it together, we will starve out these dragons because they have big appetites. Then you're really voting because that's the only thing that's tangible at this point. 
But my point is, I say, if you love to sing, sing a song that inspires people to live and love more fully and be part of the change and embrace their dream. If you love to write, write. If you love to give massage, then go places where people need a massage and give massages out of the goodness of your heart. If you're a shoemaker, make shoes with a message. In other words, if we each do what we love to do, look, you followed your heart and made an incredible movie about the dangers of vaccinations. That's doing what you love to do. I think if we take this concept to heart and say, wait a minute, it doesn't have to be painful and, and it doesn't have to be a drudgery. If you like to talk on forums, then talk about what's going on in the world in forums. If you like to paint, paint something that helps awaken people to our possibilities. How do you feel about that approach? I 100% um, embrace it. I think more than anything, you just have to show up. You have to show Amen. up in your life. You know, I am... Um, when I lived in London, I lived um, in a place called Pembridge Square at one point. And at the end of the street, if I walked down the road, there was a little um, newsstand. And I would go in there and there's this guy who worked in there named Ali. He was selling newspapers behind the corner. I would go down there every Saturday and Sunday and get it. That guy brought more joy to people you cannot imagine. There was always a line because when you walked in there, he was like, hello, beautiful. Hello, honey. How are you today? You know, he greeted everybody with happiness and joy, selling newspapers, whatever else he sold during the day. People went there because he made them smile. He must have been happy doing what he was doing. And the point is, if you're doing something that makes you unhappy, then you're not going to bring any joy to the world, right? You're not helping. You're part of the problem. And um, if you're doing something that makes your heart sing and has meaning for you, it'll have meaning for others as well. It's like, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first. You're not going to help anybody if you pass out, right? And when you're doing what you love to do, your immune system is really well strengthened and supported. Heart math has piles of research. There's many. Yeah. Psychoneuroimmunology is an entire field devoted to that. And it shows beyond a shadow of a doubt. Your state of mind and your heart harmony is the best immune defense that you have. But living in fear and wallowing in how terrible things are and, and uh, you know, all the bad things, it doesn't, it doesn't get you anywhere. It just gets you sick. And then you're right where they want you to be disabled so that you're easy to control. And, you know, and one of my favorite authors is a, is a Ken Wilber guy, um, sort of an integral psychology expert named Dustin DiPerna. In one of his books, he makes a beautiful statement. He says, it's time for us all to wake up, clean up, grow up, and show up. Mm -hmm. And it is now. It is time for us all to wake up to what's really going on and to our possibility to get involved in participating in a democracy in nonviolent ways clean ourselves up and clean our environment up, grow up and become adults and realize that this problem is something we allowed to happen by being passive, grow up and show up, do what you love to do and be part of the change and be brave enough to stand up for what you believe in. And even if you believe in vaccinations and you believe in all the security stuff, part of being an adult is being wise enough to look at both sides of an argument and making a decision based on what 
is on both sides. That's why I loved when I was in school and they had debate classes and you had to switch sides on the table and practice debating the opposite viewpoint with just as much honesty because it taught me to always really value the other opinion. And Ken Wilber, who's somebody I highly respect, says there's a little bit of truth in everything. I tell people I'm not against vaccinations. I'm just against dangerous vaccinations. The concept is beautiful. All we got to do is get it right so that it's not more dangerous than the damn thing you're taking the vaccination for. And that requires real honest science. So that means we have to have honest science. And they have to be and we've lost and they have that. to be voluntary. You know, I just 100 percent. Yeah. Yes. And, and we have to test against non-vaccinated populations we have to follow the scientific yeah. method we can't bullshit each other and bullshit the public so paul so, you know this is this is one of the things people you know there's that margaret mead com, uh, quote where she says never underestimate the power of a small group of people to change the world indeed it's the only thing that ever has it's so right. incredibly true if you look at what's happened in the whole vaccine arena in the last 2 years california has had all vaccine exemptions, except an extremely narrowly defined medical exemption removed in order to attend any kind of school, public or private. Well, I'm all, I'm well okay. aware. I have a four-year-old and an 11 month Okay. Old. So um, that's one place, New York, and they changed the rules. I'm sure, you know, I'm just sharing it with listeners. They changed the rules in order to ram that legislation through. Um, the, the normal rules of the California State Assembly, they suspended them so that they could ram the new law through. They did the same thing in New York. They suspended their own legislative rules, rammed through a removal of the religious exemption to vaccination just last year. Which they do while they're creating all these big ass distractions. Of but, and this is where I wanted to go. Those two things happened. They then tried to do it in New Jersey. And 40 thousand people showed up and said no a whole great spirit and they backed down and this is the this this i hope is what people take to heart the only reason they have power over you is because you don't show up you give it to you them. You give it to them. So if you show up and your brother and your sister and your mother and your father and your friends show up they, we are the many, they are the few. All we need to show up, do is show up and say no more and it will all stop. That's all that has to happen. And I know it's scary. Listen, I mean, I spend, you know, being on the forefront of this issue of health, of freedom, of vaccinations, of COVID, of all this, all have done for the last three or four months is research this, write about it, speak about it, and I have other projects I'm working on related to it. There are times I get really down. Contact tracing, we haven't even talked about that. That is the ultimate tool for subjugation. And that is coming to a drive-in or theater near you tomorrow, literally. People need to know, <laughs> yeah, right? Unfortunately, It is literally, yeah. we are on the brink of that. It's already being rolled out in certain places around the country. And um, it is... They are already taking children away. There was a newborn baby stolen from the parents at a hospital in Washington state two and a half weeks ago because the mother and father both tested negative. I don't know why they had to have a test, but the midwife tested them. They were both negative. The baby was a little bit premature. So they went to the hospital. The hospital insisted on testing him. The father refused. They had the police come and forcibly remove him. The mother tested positive, false positive. 
They stole the baby and planned to keep the baby, a newborn baby, for two or three weeks separate from the parents. Thousands of people called, thousands of people showed up, and the hospital backed down in about a day and a half. Awesome. Okay? In California, a child was just taken about 10, a week, 10 days ago, from a, a parent tested positive. They had made arrangements, even though children are not at risk, let's be honest, but um, they had made arrangements for their child to be separate. California uh, Child Services suggested to the court that the child be removed and the court complied and took the child. This is where it's going, right? But the thing is, this, the situation in Washington shows all you got to do is show up, folks. That's all you have to do. You just have to make your voice and your power known because they are the few and they will back down. That's, that's to me, this is, this is the myth that's playing out, right? And people are starting to see, I do have power and I do have fellow humans who care. And you know what? If we work together, we can take back our power. We can take back our country. We can take back our freedom. We can change things. The reason that it's gotten so bad, because people have been asleep at the wheel and allowed it for centuries. That's why. So we have nobody to blame. And you know what? We will be our own saviors. Yes. And, and, you know, one of the sort of stealth mechanisms here is the use of televisions, computers, phones, media, all these things, pornography, all keep people pacified. They keep them distracted. And they keep them unconscious. You drug people through the food supply. You legalize alcohol, which strengthens. Uh, that's the, the reason they call it courage juice is because it keeps people s- sort of stuck right in their programming, willing to fight over things that we normally in our conscious minds and hearts would never fight for. So when you keep people unconscious, they're simply unconscious. But to wake up means to become conscious of what's going on. To grow up means to accept responsibility for it. To clean up means stop doing the shit that's part of the problem and and be aware that you now know about it. And to show up means to go out and do something that contributes to living the dream that's safe for all of us, right? I don't mind if people want to play games, but if you start playing games that threaten the lives of our children and the safety of nature, uh, you know, I I wonder where the hell do these people think this is all going to go? And I look at all the billions of dollars being spent on space stations and trying to build space stations on Mars and all this crap. I'm like, do you guys realize that when we destroy the planet, there's only going to be 50 or 60 people living in one of them damn capsules. The rest of us are going to all die here together. And all that money that they're spending could be used right now to start dealing with the real problems at the ground level that we have and making the world what it should be and was intended to be for all of us. And if we took our military budget and instead of using soldiers to uh, steal babies and maintain lockdowns and do shit that's just absolutely ridiculous and started repurposing the military to work on building compost structures and topsoiling and supporting uh, replanting and reforestations and things that are actually uh, dealing with the real issues at hand, we could 
with we could take the same money we're spending on stuff that's destroying the planet and within a few years i mean there's all sorts of reports about how nature has been recovering due to the covid due to the lack of jet traffic lack of industry lack of automobile traffic fish are coming back plants are returning it's as though she's reviving herself so that's one of the sort of beauties and we can we'll be talking about that but I think that we really have a great opportunity right now, and, and it's just a question of waking up and realizing that your Kellogg's cornflakes and your white sugar and your pornography and your uh, mindless shows aren't really getting you anywhere, and that story uh, is going to end when you realize you don't have enough money to even pay for your Starbucks coffee anymore on your $1,000 a month. And then it's really going to piss people off when they see people like Donald Trump and Bill Gates and many others still not only having lots of money, but massive amounts of money. And it's going to create more of a divide. And we're going to go right back to what we had in Russia and in China. And it's well, going I to think just that's take the, us right back. I personally think that is their end game. They want that. Well, of course that's they the, do. That's but that's the goal of this. Destroy the small, anyone who can, who's self-sufficient. But, you know, like I said, I really believe that the creative life force is huge and, and humanity will come out of it and find a way and they won't be kept down forever. It just, it won't happen. They will not win. No. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about with regard to the whole COVID, uh, what a pandemic really, um, I've watched a couple of Zach Bush's presentations, and I think he's probably one of the most well put together medical doctors speaking on the issue in the world today. And he he takes it right back to issues of nature. He talked about how in China, how they've destroyed the environment so much, and that whenever you start uh, destroying the environment, then all the living organisms and their cells break down and they release viruses into the environment which are actually data bits that inform our genes as to what we have to be ready for to survive, to regulate our genes so that we actually can survive. And so what he's doing is taking a much bigger picture and saying, look, lear learn what a virus is. Viruses are not living things. They're bits of information. Bruce Lipton says a virus is just like a flash yeah. drive that contains information. But Zach Bush is really, in my opinion, rightly saying the information that we're getting is what happens when you destroy the environment and that you shouldn't be manipulated into thinking this is some kind of a medically transferable issue. This is a much deeper issue. And Rudolf Steiner, all the way back in the 1800s, said viruses are produced in cells when they break down and the body becomes toxic. And it is not an infectious disease. It's a product of the breakdown of an organism and it's a source of information to let other organisms know what's going on so that they can make changes as necessary for survival. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on Zach Bush and his approach and what I've just shared? I agree with so much of it. I mean, you just look at what's happened with them. Um, did you hear about the woman who had a hole in her heart and she had to go to the hospital for something and she tested positive, asymptomatic, and she was exposed to 455 people and not one of them got sick. Wow. This whole idea, I actually wrote um, on my... Uh, 
on my website, lesliemanukian.com, there's an article I wrote recently. It's very succinct and it's about germ theory and how wrong germ theory is. We have known for centuries that germ theory is deeply flawed, that it's completely inaccurate, and yet we persist with it because it supports the medical paradigm. I always say it's not the military industrial complex. It's the medical military industrial complex. I actually wrote an article about that too, because I actually think it's more dangerous and, um, and even more comprehensive in some ways, what the medical complex has done to the world and the way it's subjugated people to numbers and beings. But yes, I a hundred percent agree with him that, you know, we breathe out, there's this whole, um, theory, and discussion about exosomes, exosomes and viruses, that they're essentially one and the same, that they, that they are a way for our cells to communicate with each other, but also for our, for every single living creature and every living thing to communicate with one another. Bacteria create viruses. Isn't that amazing? And doesn't that tell you something? So a bacteria creates a virus that then is exchanged when we breathe, when we touch, when we go out in nature, all these things. And what's happening, it's like this massive matrix of information that is being shared amongst everyone and everything we come into contact with about how to handle this or how to handle that or how to deal with the amount of light or the amount of humidity in the air or with this bacteria that might be there or a mold or whatever it might be. It's literally this huge, elegant, beautiful network of communication. That's what it is. And if you look at, look at human beings, I mean, there's very, very good science showing that roughly 10% of the American public carries meningitis in the backs of their throats. A third of us carry staph in our noses or in our throats. And a bunch of us carry strep. I forget what the numbers are on that. But we're not all sick and we're not all afraid of those things. And clearly, they're not all sick, those carriers, because if all you had to do was have a virus or have a bacteria, then we'd all be dead and they'd all be dead or they'd all be sick. That's not the point, right? The terrain is what matters. Do you do you eat well? Do you get enough rest? Is are you happy? Are you stressed? Do you get exercise? You know, do you move your body? All these things. And so I think that our this whole medical, materialistic, mechanistic view of life that's been foisted upon us by academia and the medical scientists is so wrong-headed, it makes me want to scream. Life is so much more complex than we understand and than we know. And it is so much more beautiful and interconnected. And so I have a huge amount of respect for what Zach is saying and a huge appreciation for it. As a homeopath, I know that this is true as well, because we actually have remedies that are for, they, they address a rubric, rubric, never been well since shock, fright, bad news. And I look back, I wrote about this in that thing on germ theory when I worked in London. I, it was during 9-11. Within two or three days, 60 or 70% of my office was sick. Did they all just get the flu? No. They were in shock. They had elevated levels of cortisol that reduced their immune systems, and they whatever was already in them then manifested, right? Yeah. It's just you, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, something that a lot of people – don't realize because they they just aren't very well educated unfortunately but um 
the whole germ theory thing, you know, I'm, I'm watching all these billions of dollars worth of hand sanitizers <laughs> be sold. And I'm like, give me a friggin' break. I mean, this is like the most uneducated, educated people I've ever seen, you know, you know, and if people wonder, well, what's Paul's qualifications? I haven't missed a day of work due to illness in 36 years practicing nutrition, hydration, sleep, breathing, thinking, and movement in a holistic way. And I work with sick people all the time. I owned a physical therapy clinic. I worked in, I attended surgeries regularly. It's not like I've been avoiding contact with these kinds of people. I work with a lot of unhealthy people for a living. But one of the things I'm leading to is, are you familiar with the uh, physicist and astrophysicist, quantum physicist, astro astrophysicist, John we Archibald Wheeler? I've heard of him. I don't know. I mean, I've read like the field and other books on quantum physics and fully subscribed yes. to it. Yeah. Yeah. He would have been uh -huh. mentioned in there for sure. John Archibald Wheeler did research into what all the space dust was that clouds the images between stars and galaxies when they're looking into the universe. And he identified that 98% of the space dust throughout not only our galaxy, but the universe was bacteria. Wow. And it's what seeds life everywhere. Well, if, have you heard, there are many people now saying that we are 1% human, 9% yeah, bacteria yeah, yeah. and 90% virus, right? And so yeah. the, the idea that we can kill the bug and that's going to, you know, make everything okay. We're essentially, I'm sure you know this, our whole microbiome, and I'm talking about viruses, bacteria, fungus, anything, all these things yes. that are, that make us up. Right. My yeah. understanding is that it's about the balance and that as long as we have 80% beneficial and 20% or less pathogenic, quote unquote, right. Um, yeah. that as long as we've got roughly 80% is our minimum, then that keeps everything else in balance. It's not about killing the bad ones. It's about making sure that our all of our beneficial ones that do things like create nutrients in us and boost our immune systems and other metabolic functions, that those things are thriving, right? Yes, they please That's the bad guys. That's all that you need to do. And so, you know, this don't, I mean, listen, if, if, if the plague were all that mattered, we'd all be dead, right? Yes. If you follow the taxonomic tree of species in nature backwards, which I had to do to build my four-day rotation diet, well, at the very base of life is viruses, bacteria, and fungi. There are parents. If we have biological parents, they are viruses, bacteria, and fungi, and everything on this planet emerged from those three things. So this whole concept of at war with viruses or at war with bacteria is so out of touch with reality. It's just mind blowing. And it's just proof that you can make a lot of money convincing people to believe a lie. And it brings me to my next question. You know, when we look at the so-called truths, we've been told truths by academia about how the soil works and why we should use chemicals and why we need biotech because we can't feed the world with organic means. We've been told uh, the truth about whether we're having a greenhouse effect. We've been told by some that we're in our sixth mass extinction and others like Donald Trump say, oh, that's bullshit. Keep drilling, keep fracking, segregate 
conquer, divide. We've been told truths about medicine, and then the rest of us know about alternative medicine. So <laughs> we've been told the truths about what is true. And a, a big problem with this is a lot of this comes right through academic institutions. So my, you know, and that's why I referred to Zach Bush, because I think he's telling us deeper truths. Um, Leslie, I'd like to know if you can share which fundamental truths the majority are confused about why and your opinions on and how you feel the mismatch between perception and reality is playing itself out in the world today. In other words, what are the truths we're being told by academia, the news media, the scientists versus what's really true? And how is that misperception of reality ultimately what we're dealing with right now? In other words, it's the belief systems, not the viruses. It's the belief systems that are leading people to participate with Bill Gates. It's the belief systems that lead people to ostracize people that breastfeed in public and do things that we should all be supporting. It's just like, you know, I was doing research on breastfeeding years ago for a book I was writing. And I found a, a very comprehensive article from Guatemala. And it talked about how Gerber was expanding its territory and was going into third world countries, one of which was Guatemala. And the women in Guatemala had found that whenever they used any kind of processed foods in place of breast milk, that the children got sick. So the government of Guatemala had developed a very strong program to support women in breastfeeding. Gerber went in there and started peddling their baby formulas and they got a lot of resistance from the women. And Gerber was then approached by the Guatemalan government saying, look, you're going against the policy we developed. Gerber sued the Guatemalan government, got them to drop their policy and basically forced this whole concept on them of, of uh, packaged formulas. And it was the whole point of the article was that a large corporation actually took over an entire government and their own policies that they developed through hundreds of years of experience and seeing what happened to children as they started getting into processed food. So there you see, we have a purchased truth. And it wouldn't be a doubt at all to me today if you went to Guatemala today and were breastfeeding in public, those very people would start criticizing you because they've been brainwashed by corporations like Gerber. So my real question is, where are the fundamental truths relative to the program truths and how is those perceptions versus reality really playing out as the issues we're all dealing with today? Well, I think many of the things that, that one of the things that you can always do if you want to know what's true is find out what you're not allowed to talk about. <laughs> exactly. I love that. <laughs> right. So you're not, you're not Amen. allowed to talk about vaccinations. You put that up on Facebook, it gets taken down. You're not allowed to talk about. Um, 5G, that gets taken down. You're not allowed to uh, do, touch your genitals and you have to wash your hands yeah. with, with bacterial killing exactly. soap. So we know that's exactly. not true. So many things like that, right? And so to me, the biggest things, when I think about this, the, the biggest things that are we're told are true, which are not true, is that the political parties are really different. That's academia is about the pursuit of knowledge and truth 
<laughs> yeah, it's when they're corporately yeah, funded. It's worse than that, and I'll get into that. I'd really like to get into it. It's a super important thing for me. Um, yes. That GMOs are not only safe, but beneficial and necessary. When, when do you ever yeah. hear the New York Times or NPR talk about that? They don't, right? Can't talk about that. Vaccinations. West, just, just modern medicine in general, you can't talk about. And very importantly, media, the corruption of the media. And I think another big one is the benefit of the sun. Literally, the giver right, of yeah. life is now something that yes. kills us and causes cancer, despite yeah. all of the evidence to the contrary. Um, yes. I'm sure I've missed some of them, but I think those are some of the biggest ones. And what I think is really important in, in unpacking all of this is understanding that we have gotten to the place we are because of a deliberate, coordinated, carefully orchestrated plan. There's an amazing book called None Dare Call It Conspiracy, which was published in 1971 by Gary Allen. And he talks a little bit about this. Um, and you can also watch YouTube videos on um, with Norman Dodd is his name. But basically, if you look back to the early part of the 20th century, the Federal Reserve was created. Then uh, taxes were passed for everybody. And right around the same time, tax-free foundations were passed for all of the rich, the super rich. And let's be really clear. I think it's really important people understand this. This supposed you know, war against the 1% is so mit misguided because you only have to make, and I know it sounds like a lot, $500,000 roughly to be in the 1%. But the truth is that someone who makes $500,000 a year, sure, they're comfortable, but they are far from rich and they are far, oh, hell they are yeah. far from in control of the world the way that the billionaires are. We're talking about 1% of the 1%, right? The top 0.001%. These people, yes. we're talking about a, a couple thousand individuals at the most. That's it. Maybe even a couple hundred individuals who really control the world. Okay. Yes. They are the yeah. people that we should be targeting, not the average person who goes out and busts their butt to succeed. That's another thing that's a problem, right? Whatever happened to celebrating success? Don't we want people to go out and like, I think about Dr. Bronner's soaps or Dr. Joe Mercola or whatever, people who do that, or even an athlete who goes out and works their butt off, puts their heart and soul in, but now they're somehow bad because they've made a decent amount of money. That's very different from the people who are literally trying to control our world and who've amassed billions and billions of dollars and who are orchestrating what I'm going to talk about now. So you brought up Rockefeller earlier. John yeah. D. Rockefeller was a social pariah. He was one of, if not the most reviled man in the nation, possibly the world, the richest man in the world. And what he did was he decided that he wanted to rehabilitate his image. So he hired a PR team to do that. And he deliberately created his foundations and started giving away money, giving away in air quotes, to make it look like he was a good guy. But these things that he was giving money to all reinforced his view of the world. And they did it tax-free and clandestinely under the cover of goodwill. 
which was all BS. Okay. Sounds like Bill Gates is his understudy. 100%. You beat me to the punch. But basically, he started this in the early part of the 20th century. And he worked with Edward Bernays, who was Sigmund Freud's nephew. And Edward Bernays had the idea in 1920 of getting all of the suffragettes who were, you know, fighting for the right to vote to smoke cigarettes. He was working for the cigarette companies. Okay. The cigarette companies, he's like, wait a second. It's taboo for women to smoke cigarettes. If we got, if we got rid of that taboo, we could double your market share, your market size overnight. They're like, yeah. He came up with the idea to get the suffragettes to walk down the street when they were protesting in New York City in a big demonstration with cigarettes in their hands. He got the socialites of New York. So it was a simultaneous act of like, we are gonna, we're gonna get the right to vote and also of unbelievable defiance, right? Overnight, cigarette smoking amongst women was cool. He literally masterminded that whole thing. He also played a role in masterminding the rehabilitation of John D. Rockefeller's image. And what happened was Rockefeller started investing in a few things. First of all, he commissioned the Flexner Report, which I think was published around 1908 or 1910, maybe. And the Flexner Report, even though Rockefeller himself was a a devotee, literally very, very taken with homeopathy. He knew that it kept him well. He knew how magical it was. He hired um, Flexner to, along with Carnegie, and I forget who else, but they had they commissioned him to write a report called the Flexner Report, which evaluated all of the, uh, at the time, what were called traditional medicine, acupuncture, herbs, supplements, homeopathy, all these other things, midwifery, you know, all that kind of stuff, doulas and all these things. He essentially wrote this report and said that there wasn't enough structure and uh, organization in hospitals and in medical schools and that they needed that. They needed to license them and structure them. I'm taking a couple hundred page report and distilling it down to the essence. But what they did was they used that to then undermine, smear, and uh, throw under the bus all holistic modalities of healing that threatened the chemical pharmaceutical-based medical paradigm. And they got Congress to support it. So that report was then given to Congress. And that is what then ultimately led to the FDA and led to, like, whenever there's licensure, there's control. So when you ever see a body get licensed, then what happens is they take the power and then they control the licensees and make them conform to what they consider gold standard of being. And the people who are at the top then take the money. They get lobbies, lobbyists, donations, whatever. So the American Medical Association is a great ex- example of that. People think of it as a medical organization, but it's not, it's a trade group. And they get millions and millions from the pharmaceutical industry, millions, tens of millions. Yeah. 60% of a medical doctor's education is paid for by drug companies. You even look at the Lancet, right? So the Rockefeller Foundation started funding medical schools to push out research. And then they funded the journals like the Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine. The Lancet 
40% of their revenue comes from reprints of the studies that they publish of the pharmaceutical industry's drugs. 40%. That's their biggest client. It's not the doctor who pays $1,000 a year to have a subscription. Okay. And so my point, which it goes, sorry, I just want to interject. It goes completely against the principles of science, which is the pursuit 100% of truth. Against it. We've, we've completely lost science. And, and I, I interviewed Irvin Laszlo and I brought this up with him and, and he, he said, Paul, you're making, um, I'm paraphrasing. He said, that's not really true. He said, any real scientist is always, is always in the pursuit of truth. He said, you're mistaking technicians for scientists. And he says, what a lot of, what these corporations are doing is they're using their own technicians and presenting information as though it was scientific research and scientific fact, but it's not real science. It's technicians that are working to produce a product for sale. And it's being used in the guise of science as a marketing ploy. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he was saying. And I think that's a really important thing for people to understand that a lot of what's being promoted as science with things like 5G and all this stuff is not coming from legitimate scientists. It's coming from technicians that are paid by corporations to get exactly the results they want or they lose it's their job. science for sale. So anyway, yeah, 100%. I totally agree. And if you look back, so go back to this, when the Rockefeller Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation, um, the Morgans, all these you know bankers basically back then who had all this money, um, they started funneling their money into foundations that they could then grow their wealth tax-free while everybody else had to start paying taxes. There were no, there was no income tax in America until, is it 1910 or 1913? Income tax is against the con the constitution. It's not constitutional, but they don't want you to know that. They don't That's want right. you to know that. So what they did was they no. then started subverting our laws and all of our institutions. They started growing their wealth exponentially, tax-free, and then funneling it into medical schools. And they drove everybody else out of business because they also bought up all the media. They bought up all the scientific journals, or they at least buy them off. They influence them. They buy the scientists. They fund the hospitals. They fund the universities. They fund it all. They own it all. They they buy the politicians they buy, they, as well. The, I mean, you just look at the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, $250 million a year, uh, lobbying Congress. It's the number one lobby in the, in, in the United States. And that's just the, the tip of the iceberg, right? Because they fund these groups, these front groups that pose as grassroots. They're not grassroots. They are industry fronts. That's what they are. Cheryl Atkinson, um, an award-winning investigative journalist who used to work for CBS, but went out on her own because she's not allowed, wasn't allowed to tell the truth at CBS. She's done some fantastic YouTube TED Talks on um, what she calls astroturfing and uh, the fake grassroots movements, most of the media. And so now if we fast forward to Bill Gates, people don't realize in the first decade of, of the uh, to, uh, this century, he gave a billion dollars, a billion dollars to the media outlets across the world, a billion dollars. He pays journalists to write what he wants he trains them to portray his issues the way he wants them covered. He funds um, think tanks to write up talking points, sheets of talking points that are then disseminated to all these different media players. This is why you are hearing the same thing 
whether you turn on CNN or MSNBC or look at the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Sacramento Bee or the LA Times, they're all talking from the same talking points. It's coordinated. So he owns, he funds the media. These foundations fund the media. They fund the academia, academics. They fund the research in all the different universities. They fund the hospitals, the medical schools. They fund the research. And you even have like the, the uh, editor of the Lancet, Richard Horton, and the former editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, Marshall Angel, have both come out in the last 10 years and said that medical science can no longer be trusted. It is no better um, than a flip of a coin, that 50% of it's fraudulent. These, this is what they're saying because it's been bought. It is literally science for sale. And this pertains to, I don't care if it's vaccines or medical equipment or drugs or, you know, psych drugs or whatever. It's, it's just, it's all bought. It's not scientific. Well, yeah, there, and it's, it's this very reason that um, LSD, and uh, most of the psychedelics were uh, taken and uh, turned into the bad guy because they opened people's minds too much and turned them into free yeah. thinkers and heal tremendous amounts of psychological pathology that the medical system makes billions and billions of dollars selling drugs for. So they basically turned something that's potentially very, very powerful for healing if used intelligently into an enemy through all sorts of scam and lies campaigns. Um, while we're talking about truth, uh, there's a very good book by Rupert Sheldrake, which you can also get on audio called Science Set Free. And Rupert Sheldrake dissects science and shows a lot of ways that science is being manipulated and not telling the truth. And when he did his TED talk, to summarize the research in his book, they banned the TED Talk and it caused a huge uproar. And within a couple of months, over 2 million people watched it privately on YouTube and it's probably much higher than that. And it caused a lot of people to get pissed off with the TED Talks people because they realized that they're they're part of this whole scam to filter the truth. But uh, that's just one of the things. Are you familiar with the documentary Hoxie about Harry Hoxie? I'm blanking on it and I know I'm, it's so familiar, but I'm blanking on it. Remind me. Yeah. Harry Hoxie was a, was a naturopathic physician, but his family was an oil drilling family. So he had a lot of money and he basically long story made short, their horse got cancer and it was going to die. And his grandfather, who was also a naturopathic physician said, why don't we just let the horse out? so it can live a free life. They had it cooped up in the barn, you know, like a Uh sick patient. And Harry Hoxie noticed that the horse was eating all sorts of flowers and thistles and things horses don't normally eat. And he, so he said, he started noticing the horse was healing and he said, Oh my God, the horse is healing itself. So he started following the horse down and recording everything the horse was eating and then doing research on what herbs these were Ultimately, he made a cure right. for cancer. I was going to say the Hoxie effective. Center, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Y- yes, yes. And so he made this legitimate cure for cancer that's been used in natural cancer treatment centers all over the world. Then the AMA approached him and said, we want to buy your cure. And Harry Hoxie said, under one condition, 
anybody that cannot afford to buy it in a hospital must be treated for free. And they said, absolutely not. And he said, then I won't sell it to you. And then they, they said, we will take it from you. We will put you out of business. He said, try it. Well, what they didn't realize is he was a very wealthy man. They arrested him many, many, many times, probably 40 or 50 times. And he carried $10,000 in cash in his pocket. And he often could bail himself out. But whenever he put himself in jail and, and the public heard about it, they would storm the jails and thousands of people would show up. They would block all the traffic. And it got to be such a problem that they had a really hard time putting him in jail. He was the first man to beat the American Medical Association in a lawsuit. And he exposed Morris Fishbind as having failed his medical examinations. And he wasn't even fit to be a medical doctor, yet he was running the entire Sounds AMA. Sounds like the Brzezinski story. You know, the cancer, it's big business. Have you seen? Um, I haven't oh, seen that fantastic. one. He, he was this Polish guy who came, PhD student, and he discovered a um, a cure for cancer for a bunch of, and, and amazingly, for the most inoperable cancers like brainstem and things like this. And he lives in Texas and they brought him in front of seven um, grand juries in Texas and did all these things, everything they could. They, they tried to buy his, um, buy his cure. They did so many things, did everything to try and put him out of business, but he's survived and he's exposed them the same way for you know, the medical profession is not about health. It's about wealth. People just have to understand that. That's, it gives me no joy, but it's the truth, you know, and um, we just have yeah. to, we have to share the information that we have, the magic of the nutrition, the herbs, the homeopathy, the other things that we have had personal experience with Paul and hope that that <clears throat> helps others, encourages people, right? It, it empowers them to go and try and heal themselves and to, to um, pursue alternative means because going into the hospital, I mean, look at what's happened with COVID. They go, you go in, they put you on a ventilator. That's what's killing people. 80 to 90% yeah. of people who go on ventilators die. And there have been doctors blowing the whistle since the beginning of this, but this is not yes. a disease that warrants ventilation. And yet they're doing it. We have to ask yes. ourselves why. And, you know, I mean, you talked about, um, the, uh, issue with respect to, um, um, how much hospitals kill. I mean, I did a little presentation not long ago on this that, you know, what is it here? I'm going to just look at my stats. 100,000 deaths annually from properly used FDA approved drugs, 1.3 million ER visits from adverse drug events and 350,000 hospitalizations from them. 40,000 medical errors every day, every day. 440,000 preventable deaths from medical errors each year. They're the leading cause of death in the United States. If you add up all the different things, four to eight million cases of serious harm by hospitals every year in this country, every year. Well, it's, it's a little better than that. I looked into this research myself and one of the experts on this topic said, the truth is, is that for every reported death due to medical fault or failure, it, there there's usually three unreported deaths because the doctor's medical malpractice insurance goes through the roof if someone dies under their own hands. So they do everything they can do not to report it and to protect Absolutely. each other. Which where did where did you read so, that, Paul? I'd love to know. Oh, it's been several years. I was doing. I mean, I've done so much research, but it was one. 
it was there was a journal i think it was uh the lancet but one of the uh one of the major medical journals actually published the statistics on the number of people dying from uh, malprescribed drugs and surgical blunders and showed that it was actually right up there with heart disease as potentially the most dangerous threat. And it came right yeah. out of the medical journal. And it was someone that had commented on that, that was like in an uh -huh. editorial that yeah, said no, for every modern one medicine is, reported Modern medicine case, is the number one killer in America. There's no doubt about that. Anyone who, yeah, but anyone who argues otherwise is just ignorant of the truth. I mean, that's the bottom. Well, they're they're yeah. brainwashed, but that's that's why we're sharing some love with them right now. A couple things before I forget: you can get the documentary on Hoxie from AkersUSA.com. That's where I got it. I, I would imagine it's still there. I mean, I watched it when it was on VHS tape, so it's been around for a while. Um, and this all boils back to the to the root discussion that uh, Zach Bush was talking about, and that I've been talking about, and that I teach my students. I'm not totally against medicine. If you have a, an acute injury or a car accident, emergency medicine's great. But when it comes to actually keeping ourselves healthy and the health of the planet, Mother Nature's medicine chest is the place we got to go, which means we have got to protect nature. And when you start looking into all the things, such as 5G and all the things we've been talking about from chemical farming to chemtrails to weaponized systems that are, you know, harming uh, all the sea creatures, dot, dot, dot. We're sitting here being distracted by things when nature is being destroyed. And that means our own capacity to heal ourselves. And isn't it interesting that animals survive in the wild and they know what medicines to use? There's lots of research showing that insects, animals, plants, fungi, they all know what chemicals to use to heal themselves. But that depends on nature. So when we look at the destruction of the environment and we look at the uh, fact that we don't have a government headquarters, we have a corporate headquarters that's destroying the planet. Part of the real drive, I think, behind all this is we've got to become more conscious of what we're doing to nature and we've got to keep nature preserves protected. One of the things I keep seeing from one of the groups I subscribe to that is monitoring all this stuff is that while this whole COVID thing's been going on, Bill, um, um, Donald Trump has been pushing bills through for more oil drilling and more fracking, and he stopped the Environmental Protection Agency's involvement. He shut them down, and he's passing all sorts of laws to, to um, take down protected resources so that they can be used for uh, industrial profit. And this is the kind of shit that we've got to be aware of, and it's extremely dangerous to the future of life on this planet. Yeah, and, you know, I find... That situation, I have such a conflict on because I can't stand the EPA. The EPA is an industry front in my view, and the EPA is protecting. I mean, the the legislation that um, that governs the EPA is from like the 1960s or 70s, and it is in such need of update. There are something like 80,000 chemicals in use every day that have zero, not even rudimentary review. From what I understand, only a handful of chemicals have had a very uh, thorough research and maybe 200, a kind of basic one, but there are 80,000 that are being used and the EPA is allowing this to happen. So I can't stand the EPA and I fault them on one hand, right? On the other hand, yes, this destruction of our environment is clearly destroying ourselves, right? My thing is, yeah. 
my research suggests that there has been free energy for a long time and that oh, we yes. know about oh, it. Yes. And so I even like, I don't know if you watched, I mentioned this to you when we talked before, there's this new documentary out called planet of the humans. And um, Michael Moore was the executive producer on it. And interestingly um, it came out on earth day this year and it explores and kind of shattered some of my dreams <laughs> Um, it explores the usability and also the way that a lot of renewables are actually manufactured and what they do. And so like solar panels, you would not believe what goes into making them. And it's, it's like the example that you gave earlier that it's got part pig. It's got like unbelievable quartz crystals and all these rare minerals and ingredients and things like that. And they last for 20 years or even, yeah. you know, turbine, wind turbines and stuff like this, wind turbines. Um, these things don't last forever and they're massive and they require so much energy. And then of course you still need something as a backup because we don't have batteries and stuff. And to me, it's what's going on in the whole world of energy today is a, an, a, a microcosm of what's going on on the planet in general, which is this, fight between freedom and slavery, because I really, true. I mean, my research shows very clearly, and I'm not going to go into detail on it, that there is free energy, but it's being sabotaged. It's being um, covered up in order to continue to enrich those who control oil <clears throat> and other things. Absolutely. There's, there's, I can yeah. go on and on and on about it. Yeah. I've looked so into I, just, it. I don't want to go Maybe. into much detail on it, but the point is that I don't think that renewables are the answer either because they're like right now, everyone's talking about biomass and they're literally destroying forests for this, Paul. And that's, that's horrific. Yeah. We don't want to do that either, you know? So, and the other thing no. is there has to be some kind of a, I think we have to be careful too, because millions of people and their livelihoods and feeding their families is at stake if we do something really abrupt, you know? So there's, I'm not sure that I know the answer, except for the fact that I do believe that there is free energy and that that is really the answer. And that the only reason we don't know about it and have it is because the powers that be don't want it, you know, to be. No, oh, no, no question. And I, I agree. We're in a transition. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of the things that we're doing have to change. But if we don't start the transition now, I hate to say it, but our days are numbered. I mean, I've quoted this on my podcast before, but I saw a research report, which one of my friends who's very in the know gave to me. And it was by a group of entomologists that had been monitoring bug traffic and began to notice that the amount of bug traffic was dropping. And it started with one entomologist. And then he started contacting other entomologists around the world and then they did a study to see is bug traffic dropping and they dropping and they found after they did their collaborative research that bug traffic has dropped 75% in the last 50 years and that's the sex organs of our planet and that paper was titled something like Armageddon may be near in fact I can forward you that report and 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 so what I'm talking about we are really so distracted by fake viral scams and all this shit, we're not really looking at what's really going on. And if we're not careful, we're going to get caught. Rudolf Steiner said a long time ago, there's two things that human life depends on, 
trees and bees. And if they ever reach a critical level, we will all die together. And we're there. We are there. And bees, the reason he said bees is because of their pollination function. But insects at large are the pollinators are the sex organs of the planet. And all these chemicals and all this destruction of the soil for all this commercial farming and all this industry and all the electromagnetic pollution is really disrupting the sex organs of our planet. And so there are some foundation principles. We, we really need to say, okay, what is truly sustainable? And what technologies do we have to provide us with energy? And how can we use industry and technology in ways that are not devastating to the planet? But if we don't put our heads together and get the brightest minds of our youth and as I've told people all the time, the same technology we're using to destroy each other and divide each other can be used productively to unify, connect, and support each other. And we've got to use the network of the global mind to get our geniuses to help us solve these problems. And that's where I think there is, you know, coming back to this current pandemic is the gift because people are planting their own gardens. Yes, and that's what happened during the First and Second it. World War, and that's by the, the answer, way. right? Because the more people plant yeah. their own gardens. But I also think that the destruction of our food shed is deliberate. So people may not realize this, but Bill Gates and the Rockefeller Foundation and Archer Daniels, Daniels Midland and, the, and Monsanto and the other GMO manufacturers have all invested um, millions in a huge compound off the northern shores of Norway, north of the Arctic Circle on a giant rock. And it is a um, compound with 10 foot thick concrete walls that houses 3 million organic and heirloom seeds from all over the world. Now, why would people who are supporting GMOs do that? Okay. Uh -huh, yeah, unless they have another plan. And here's the other thing is people don't realize that Bill Gates and his foundation is funding Beyond Meat. He's funding the Impossible Burger. He's funding Memphis Meats. And he's also um, coordinating with, um, what's his face? Tyson, the chicken manufacturer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Processed and there's, food And you know, there's this yeah. huge, I don't know if you've, if you've noticed this yourself, Paul, but there's a narrative right against meat. And listen, I'm totally oh, yeah, against. Yeah. I've, 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 I've gone against that. Uh, my whole podcast series, the honest vegetarian explodes all the different isms and it's a five or six part series. Part one is on the podcast, but the rest of them on our, our Czech Institute media site, which is C H E K I V A Chakiva.com. So if you haven't listened to those, Leslie, I go into the physical, the chemical, the spiritual, and I do it with my buddy, uh, senior instructor, Matthew Walden, who's a naturopath and an osteopathic physician and a very, very smart guy. So we, we, went, we did this because of the Game Changers movie. I got so sick of seeing all this public Ugh. manipulation and BS. But my point is that this that is all orchestrated, right? And so now here we are. Oh, they are yeah. literally, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in, in my state, and actually it has been nationwide, they are going into meatpacking facilities. And please know, I'm not defending CAFOs. Can't stand CAFOs. You know, I buy all of my meat is pastured local I know where it comes from. I know how it's raised. I'm not supporting confined animal feed operations. 
That said, these people are going into the meatpacking facilities and testing people. And then they're finding that they are test positive for COVID and shutting them down. Why are they doing that? Because it's all part of this whole plan to, to destroy yeah. and capture, most importantly, to capture the means of production across our nation, across the world. And then their answer is going to be their fake food. They're genetically modified beyond meat and impossible burger crap that they all own and that they're going to make billions out of, just like their vaccines. That's what it's really all about. And so you look at these foundations are investing in this stuff and then they are pushing. And this is really important for people to understand. The Gates Foundation gave... $79 million in January of this year to Britain's Imperial College of London. And that is the institute, the institution that first put out the most frightening estimates of how many people would die. They said that 2.2 million Americans would die and over 500,000 Britons would die absent any kind of measures. The same guy who wrote that, Neil Ferguson, and advocated for a total lockdown, broke lockdown several times to meet with his married mistress. So he obviously didn't take his own recommendations very seriously. But the point is, they put out these terrifying numbers. $79 million they got from Gates in January. The Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluations is a part of the University of Washington um, in Seattle, where Gates hails from. They received $279 million in a grant a couple of years ago from the Gates Foundation. They were the ones in the United States who put out the really scary numbers of 1.7 or 1.8 million people dying. This is really important, folks. Those numbers were frauds. We know this. Totally. We know there's a statistician and an expert, Michael Levitt, who's a professor at um, Stanford, and he has evaluated the Imperial College model. And the Imperial College model used exponential estimates going forward for like six or seven, eight days. So they assumed that there will be exponential growth in the disease outbreak based on what was going on in China. The problem is there was never exponential growth in China ever, ever. So he says that basically his, his, implications are that the whole paper was a fraud and that it will be retracted. Okay. These two models and the Johns Hopkins models, which has also taken tens of millions of dollars from the Gates Foundation, were the ones used, relied upon by the media around the globe to terrify everybody and to justify lockdown, social distancing, mask mandates, and all this garbage. Okay. This is orchestrated fraud. That's what it is. Those, it's organized, it is organized crime. crime. I 100% agree. 100%. High, highly you organized got it. crime. And I'm just sharing it because it then comes back. So these organizations are putting the fear out there. They've already bought the health organizations. The World Health Organization, Gates gave $550 million to in 2018 for its two-year contract, more than anybody but the United States, more than Britain, more than any other country. Gavi gave... 150 million, if I remember, it's number four on the list. More than Germany, I believe, or Germany's just ahead of it, but it's right up there, okay? So you add those two together, we're talking $700 million from the Gates Foundation um, to the World Health Organization. 
Gates gave over hundred million to NIH, the National Institutes of Health, which is where Fauci works. He's been funding Fauci's vaccine development for years. He's given, um, he gave $10 million to the CDC. And people think that the CDC is a, and the NIH, that they are government agencies. Sorry, not so much. The CDC foundation takes money directly from the pharmaceutical industry and other players like the Gates Foundation. Well, we don't have a go- we don't no, have we a don't. government. We have a corporate headquarters. That's, have- that's a f- fact that people need to just breathe in and get it's clear on. It's called fascism. On and- it's fascism. We live yeah. in a fascist system. That's it. And um, and the NIH too. Scientists who work for NIH and CDC they can make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year on the patents that they develop on vaccines. You don't think that's a conflict of interest? Oh my gosh! Anyway. Let me just finish yeah, painting really. this picture because it's it's one of – I've done so much research on this. So they have funded the health organizations, World Health Organization, National Institutes of Health, the CDC. They're funding them, Gates. He's funding the people who are putting out the terrifying estimates. He's funding the media, billion dollars in the first decade. I don't even know how much. I haven't gotten to that point yet in the second decade, in the last decade. He's funding seven different manufacturing facilities and says he doesn't mind wasting a couple billion dollars. He just wants to make sure there's enough capacity and maybe, you know, one or the two that he's backing won't be the right one, but that's okay. He'll have the facilities there. Oh, I'm sure we should all be so grateful for his largesse, right? Oh, yes. Very, very supportive. (laughs) He's, He's funding the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness and Interventions, which is a vaccine group. He funds Gavi. He started it with a $750 million um donation and has given a couple billion to it, which is the Global Vaccine Alliance. He funds every single piece of this. He's funding the vaccine manufacturers themselves, Moderna, Oxford, these other groups. He's funding everything. He's funding the fake meat. Do you see the connections? He's and now and he was trying to destroy meat. So he's trying to actually undermine and has been for the last 10 years, undermine people's understanding of meat because he knows that people who eat meat and eat all the essential fatty acids, the A, the D, the K that's in the meat, in the in the pastured meat is what makes us healthy and strong, right? That's what it's so vital to our lives. But we're weak if we don't have that. It's all part of a massive, controlled, orchestrated campaign. It's it's just important. It's it's really jaw dropping, and it is. It is racketeering. That's what it is. It's totally racketeering. What I want to do now is sort of wrap it up. We've been going for two hours and thirty five minutes. It's all important. I could talk about it for days and hours, but I want to keep it digestible to people. My personal closing commentary, and then I want to give you the floor since it's, I really wanted to get, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you about your opinions because you've really done a lot of research into this. But I, I have a message that I want to share from me. And that is, as scary as this all sounds, no man is fully alive until he has the power to destroy himself. We have to be conscious of what we're putting our money into. We have to wake up clean up, grow up and show up. We have to look at research on both sides of the fence. We have to use websites like greenmedinfo.com that are publishing a lot of great research on the other side. We have to make intelligent decisions. We've got to sit on both sides of the fence and not be caught in a dogma. We need to be open-minded. We need to focus on what we all need. We all need a healthy base of topsoil. 
We all need clean water. We all need fresh air and we all need each other. We need each other. We don't need nationalism. We need to share resources. We need to share technology. We need to share geniuses and we need to get clear on what we need for our future and our children's future. And I say, instead of feeling depressed and scared and disabled, get alive, turn on, get into this thing, share your love, do what you feel is true and honest from your heart. Even if it's just sharing in emails with friends or sharing websites or sharing this podcast or going to Leslie's website or to various foundations such as Weston A. Price or listening to Zach Bush or any, I mean, there's so many great doctors and resources out there. There's no shortage of good information, even with them taking it down. We, the people, are the real power, but we have to step into our power. We've got to participate. We've got to stop eating junk food, stop watching garbage television, and we've got to get together and do something or we will all suffer the consequences of being passive children under the guise of rulership for people that cannot participate as adults in their own life. So my message is, Get into your heart, dance, sing, spend some time enjoying yourself each day, but spend some time devoting yourself to doing, if it's five minutes or 20 minutes or an hour of sharing your love in ways that work for you. And this could be the greatest moment in history right now. I t yeah. Leslie, how would, how would you like to close out and what, what uh, would you like to share as far as resources, websites, and things like well, that. I'm assuming you're going to link to that stuff on your show notes. So, um, sure. Yeah, we will, sure. but you can share. Well, first, as I well. just want to say thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been such a, such fun, Paul, to talk to yeah, someone <laughs> and share our different experiences and our knowledge and unpack some really important issues. Um, hopefully, People don't go away afraid, they go away empowered. That is my goal. Um, you know, I talked to my son about some of this stuff, not all of it, because some of it's just too much for a 17 year old to take, right? But I share it with him, not to frighten him, but so that he's not programmed, so he's not brainwashed and asleep. I share it because I don't want him to be paralyzed in fear when something happens when there's some event, because they use shock and awe to control us. Like if you look at the whole 9-11, um, uh, the whole, you know, tragic events. Scam. <laughs> trying to choose my words carefully. <laughs> well, you know, yes, I, I feel very sad for all the people that died. I really do. I, I really do. But we, I think anyone with more than a handful of brain cells talking to each other has reached the point. Now, all you got to do is, is watch the movie I just talked about, uh, No God, No Master, and see what's really going on with these very wealthy people and how they're manipulating us. But, you know, we've, we've, we've really all got a possibility here and we really have an opportunity to work together. You know, one time, Leslie... 
I was going through a midlife crisis at 50. I really, I really just reached a burnout stage because I felt so passionate about all these things. I just gave my heart and soul. I lived for over 20 years on airplanes, lecturing all over the world and teaching people about the soil and teaching people about how all these exercise agendas they were on and crap they were putting in their bodies was just a bunch of crap, just like we're talking about. But I, I reached a point where I was just utterly exhausted and I just had nothing to give to the world anymore. And I had to go into a three-year period of recovery. And I work with power animals, which are aspects of our psyche. One of my power animals is the bee family. Yeah. And I was in the sauna one day and I just had this intuitive sense I needed to talk to the bees. So I went down and brought my consciousness down to my root chakra where the bee power animal communicates with me. And I said to the bees, you know, I'm, I'm exhausted. I, I, I just, I love the planet. I love people and I want to help, but I, I, I feel alone. It's like I'm talking to a wall. People are so brainwashed. They don't listen and they're, they're really going to suffer for it. And I know you, the bees are suffering. And you know what the bees told me? Tell me. The, the bees said, Paul, they show, they, they, all of a sudden they began having visions of the inside of a beehive. And I saw the queen bee and I saw them all moving beautifully and making music with their wings and vibrations. And just the sound of it started harmonizing me and healing me. And then light came from the queen bee's eyes and she communicated to me telepathically. And she said, Paul, nobody can make honey alone. Mm. That's what I want to teach you. We work together to make honey. And you've been trying to do too much alone. You need to work with people. It's all about relationships. It's all about realizing that we need each other. She said, your business will thrive when you start reaching out to other people that share your values. No bee can make honey alone. And that's how I learn from my psyche and from the invisible wisdom of mother nature. And I will say right now, all of us need to realize no bee can make honey alone. We need each other and we need the insects and we need the animals. We need the plants. We need the trees. We have to recognize ourselves as a family. <clears throat> we have to appreciate the great chain of being and we have got to start working together or there will be no honey. Well, hopefully our conversation mm. is just one step in that direction, you know? Um, so I just want to say again, thank you so much because it's really been fun. And it's, um, I know we've talked about some heavy and some scary things, but as I was saying, we share these so that people won't be paralyzed in fear. And, and I was going to mention the whole 9-11 thing. Those events and that if people can just objectively look back and remember the playing of the images of the planes flying into the buildings over and over and over again, that was not yes. an accident. That was deliberate to brainwash, to implant in every person alive at that time a trauma response in their psyche. That's yes. what it's about. Unbelievable fear, shock, and paralysis that goes along with it. And I would suggest to you that what they have utilized globally is 
a reenactment of that trauma response with this. The same shock and awe. It's everywhere. Everyone's going to die. Everywhere, everyone's going to get sick. They have reactivated that trauma response deep in our psyches in order to control people. And the reason that I share, and I'm gathering that that's one of the reasons that you share, is so that people won't be paralyzed anymore. They will see the matrix for what it is. They will see the brainwashing for what it is. They will see the attempt at subjugation for what it is, whether it's coming from a politician's mouth, a media outlet, or somewhere else. And so I just really want to say that I so appreciate this conversation and this time um, with you today. And my only message is for people to utilize this information to wake up, to empower themselves, and to take whatever action they can within themselves first and then in their own communities. Because like I said earlier on in the, in the talk, there's no way any one of us can solve all the world's problems. It's simply impossible. And that fear and the overwhelming sense of trying to solve the world's problems is so much that it actually paralyzes most people. So don't look there. Just look at yourself within, what you can change in you, and then what you can change in your individual life and what you can help in your community. You know, that saying that when we were kids, think globally, act locally, it's so very true. Plant a garden, share with your brother or sister, talk to people about this idea, try and overlook the black-white illusion of our world because that's what they want you to believe in. Me against you, him against her, left against right, right? Black against white. That's what they want. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a total strategy to divide and conquer. It's military strategy. You know, when I was a paratrooper and had to go through various types of military training and strategy that they taught us, one of the first things they teach you as a soldier is the way you overcome an enemy is you knock out their communications and you cut off their food supply. Well, if you listen to all of what we've been talking about, our communications are being highly controlled and any truth that goes against the agenda is getting knocked out and they're taking our food supply it might be of concern for people to know that about five or six corporations that are food processing corporations produce 90% of the food eaten in the world. Well, if you realize that your supermarkets are being stocked by five large corporations that are in bed with the very people we're talking about at any time, they can cut off your food supply and they're already cutting off your voice. So, if you look at basic military strategy, we are in a situation where it is time to wake up, clean up, grow up, show up, participate, dance and sing and share your story and get out there and be part of the transformation. But fear is never a good seeing eye dog, but knowing what we're doing for each other. And knowing that any sacrifices that we have to make for each other are legitimate sacrifices for the betterment of the whole, there's no better way to go than knowing you did your best for the world. That's how yeah. I'm going to go. Right now, if I die, I can honestly say I did my very best to make the world a better place each day. And that's all I could do. 
And if we just get up and do a little something each day, knowing that we're doing something, then we're bees working together to make honey. And I think we'll be yeah. just and you know, fine. Paul, not everybody is going to be Paul Check, right? Not everybody has that those gifts, those talents, those ex, that expertise. But everybody can stand up and take off their mask. Everybody can stand against unjust laws. Anybody can stand up for their friend or their sister or brother. And by doing so, they empower everyone else to do that. I think that's the most important thing. When you stand up and push back, when you just stand up and speak out, it empowers other people to do the same. I can't tell you how many people have seen me without a mask and taken theirs off. Absolutely. I, you know, we just moved into our new property and, and in the last three months, we've had all sorts of contractors out here and, you know, we, we were flooded right when we started moving in. So we had to have emergency contractors and cement workers and, and it was crazy. And in every case, they came here wearing masks, but almost every one of them, when I told them, Hey, you don't need to do that around here. We're hip to the real truth. And they go, Oh my God, that's mm -hmm. such a relief. I'm so glad and they got rid of their masks and they said, finally, somebody that's sane and our, our bosses tell us we have to wear them. It's a company mandate. But so far, every single one of them, even the water guy, they, they, they don't take them off, but they pull them down below yep. their nose so they can breathe better, you know. But I, I you know, I, no one needs to be a Paul Check or they nor do they need to be a Leslie Manukian. But you know what? I believe in the depth of my heart, every single human being on this planet has genius totally in them. We're 100%. We're all yeah, we're all expressions of the divine and we all have an opportunity to find out what our unique genius is and when you find your genius you find your heart and when you express your authentic self and your natural genius which is doing what you love to do, you're already part of the solution. If we just focus on being true to ourselves and taking that into the circumstances we're in and saying, how can I really be myself and share the love and the wisdom that I have? Then the brain of society starts to work together and then the bees start making honey. And that's more important than Amen. the money. So Leslie, uh, I know your site, Leslie Manukian, M-A-N-O-O-K-I-A-N.com's got a lot of great stuff. Anything else? And you've got a lovely, lovely documentary. You want to just quickly uh, let people know what, what sure, the title is and where to um, find it? It's an award-winning documentary on vaccines, and it's called The Greater Good. And you can find a ton of research and information on our website, which is greatergoodmovie.org. You can also stream the video from there directly, um, greatergoodmovie.com. Uh, org, sorry, is there. And it's also on Peeps TV, which is on Roku. And I forget there's one other spot and I'm forgetting it, but we've been censored off of Amazon. Just so you know, we were there um, streaming on their prime platform for four years before they took us down last year. That just means yeah, it's, it's really bags, good. I tell you it's because they're all in bed with the same people. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, you can find all that stuff. And um, I'm going back on the board of the Weston A. Price Foundation soon, and it's just a fantastic organization. So please check that out. And um, anyway, lots of things. Green Med, I love all that stuff you talk about. We're on so much on the same page, Paul. Thank you so much. 
Hey, thanks for everything you're doing. I want to say thank you to all my sponsors. Um, you know, everything you've heard me talk about and you hear on all these podcasts, all my sponsors are totally aligned with the values that I share here. They're very concerned about the earth, about caring for nature and providing real, wholesome, clean, non-toxic, highly nutritious food and products for you. So whenever you're buying from the sponsors, you're putting the hands in the money, the hands, money in the hands of people that are really like us, caring for the planet and producing sustainable uh, nutrition and holistic support for your health and your well-being and your vitality. So thank you to all my sponsors and uh, thank you to all of you. And if you agree with Leslie and I that this is a great time to stand up and share your love, then please share the podcast because that's sharing an opportunity to help people wake up, clean up, grow up and show up. So thank you to all of you. Don't be afraid. Let's take time each day to gather ourselves, eat good food, breathe, rest, play a little bit. But just decide how much time you're going to spend each day or each week devoting yourself to doing something to help everybody else and to help the planet. And that's all we can expect from each other. And at least if we do that, we know we've done our best. And what more can we ask from each other? So, Leslie, thank you. Thank you, you Paul. What a pleasure. Bye, everybody. Uh, thank you. And, and lots of love. And Bye to all of you. And I've got lots of great podcasts coming up for you. I'm super excited. I've got some amazing interviews, including Zach Bush. So stay tuned. I'll be interviewing Zach Bush and uh, him and I will get into it just like Leslie and I have. And I think you're going to be absolutely amazed. And if you didn't listen to my recent podcast with Sayer G from Green Med Info, it was excellent. So lots of love signing off. And uh, I know this was a long podcast, but I don't think that I could uh, ethically shorten it because I'm not into sound bites or fake education. If you want to get to the heart of things, then you got to get to the heart. And here we are. So see you soon. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Leslie Manukian. You can find Leslie online at lesliemanukian.com. That's L-E-S-L-I-E-M-A-N-O-O-K-I-A-N.com or at greatergoodmovie.org. Follow her on Facebook at Leslie Manukian and at greatergoodfilm. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash Living4D with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and the Czech Institute's new streaming media site, chikiva.com.